0: Castles and cryptids wherever the castles shall be haunted, the cryptids will probably be cryptic AF (laughs) One must assume. Yeah. Um we like to think so. We hope anyway. I do. I'm Alana. And I'm Kelsey. (laughs) And we're here back again this week for episode twenty two. Yeah. Is that lucky number? I don't know. I don't
1: know any of the lucky numbers.
0: I don't know. People say things. There's lucky times of day, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> we are currently recording in the afternoon. The light is shining on me. But it was, oh, very spooky earlier today, because we had those thunder showers.
1: It was so loud
0: <laughs> yeah. that
1: at one point, my entire house shook. And, like, I have a couple, like, framed pictures on my wall that are have, like, larger metal frames but the pictures are smaller but Mm. they're still really light they're really light frames um so it must be like just a thin piece of metal they used in this wide wide border
0: but they literally
1: yeah they like shook Mm -hmm. on the wall and bailey my cat started freaking out
0: (laughs) and
1: like i could hear the windows shake it was that loud it was awful it looked it looked like the lightning almost hit that the um I have, like, a little convenience store little thing, like, across the street, down, like, right. half a block and across the street. And it almost looked like right before that that the lightning hit, like, in that parking lot. whole sky lot. lights up. <sighs> yeah. yeah, it was so bright. So it must have been oh, really man. close because then within a couple seconds it, it, like, boomed and that's when, like, the whole house shook. And I was like, wow, I must be really close to the middle right now.
0: They've been bad lately, yeah. I think we get some of that Pacific Northwest um whatchamacallit wind stream or whatever or their meteorological <laughs> stuff because yeah. yeah when the, when the heat wave happened it's like yeah we're right beside bc and you know washington they're just down from that and state and it's like we get all that like that heat wave was really bad this year and yeah. the BC still got fires um, so hopefully they, they got some, some rain too, but ooh, yeah, it was good. I was like, this
1: is a good day to tell spooky stories. Yeah. I just didn't want to rain when it was or rain. I didn't want it to record when it was thunder shower, like thunder and stuff in the background. Cause I didn't know how that was going to sound on the radio, like on the recording.
0: I know I was tempted. It's tempting. Like yeah. <laughs> to have, it. you just hear the thunder like clapping and yeah, but anyway, Speaking. We have it. We have it in our ambiance in our intro music. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I could probably produce a dog howl too if I said the right words. Oh, because I saw Aww. also I thought <laughs> I saw a TikTok today that was like, you you pretend you're on the phone with someone, but you start saying all the favorite words like, "Oh, Grandma, do you think we have to go for a walk later on? We <laughs> have oh to gosh. go buy some treats." And then I saw like yeah, it was definitely a trend because I literally don't spend more than like five minutes on TikTok if that, right? And then it was like one person doing it with their wiener dog and then another one was a lady doing it with her eight huskies. And then it created such a cacophony or however you say that word. (laughs) Cacophony. I don't know. It
1: was like, Mom, you said the magic word. Let's go. Oh my
0: God. I would not dare do that with Finn. With Fenrir. Yeah,
1: no. (laughs)
0: Not unless Pat was ready to go for the walk. We did eventually take him for a walk because at first he was like, it's raining bud. I don't, I don't want to, we don't have to go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, it was like absolutely pouring. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, now it's nice and
1: sunny. Right? Uh,
0: Too bad if that, I hope someone's listening to this in a dark stormy night (laughs) somewhere. In the future, eventually. (laughs) When I'm editing, I'm like,
1: "Oh God, it's scary now." (laughs) (laughs) well we're recording this, talking about murder, it's just three (laughs) p.m. Oh yeah, what are we talking about today? (laughs) We took a little trip to the U.K.
0: Oh, I wish I've only been once, but yeah. I've never been. No. My mom took us to London um, on a wing and a prayer. At a cheap place that's it's amazing like, it's so yeah like it's it, it instilled the love of travel in me even though i don't always do it but it's like when you do get to do it it's so
1: nice yeah it was lovely that's awesome i i would love uh, to be able to travel a lot more in europe yeah that's well everybody oh everybody God. wants to travel in europe i want to backpack through europe that's i know i was talking thing. to
0: pat oh yeah exactly um end ended up talking to pat about um at the castle or whatever fortress from the Norway uh, castle I did. And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool to go there. He wants to go to Sweden. It's going to happen. Anyway, we're going to talk and go mentally (laughs) to the United Kingdom. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which is pretty broad because you could pick from, like, Ireland, you know, England. Scotland.
1: Scotland so where did you where did you head to do you want me to go first because mine is a super bummer sure (laughs) okay well i'll gird my
0: loins (laughs) i'll get ready to pucker my sphincter (laughs) oh my gosh yeah uh if you um you're notorious you know that you're gonna make yourself notorious for the dark cases (laughs) i am yeah they're out there, guys. That's it's not our fault.
1: <laughs> no. Um, no. So I had told you there was some pictures that are fairly important with oh, my yeah. case. If you want to open the drive, so the first one should oh, have one. a sorry. picture of a woman and a man, and it's just entitled "The Moors Murders." That's one you. Have and it's like M O
0: O R S, which I was curious if it was going to be like. That almost could yeah. be a last name or a place, because a oh. moor is like a, a hill.
1: Yes. A grassy knoll. This is <laughs> a specific, um, like, moors.
0: But is it actually a hill? I'm sorry.
1: It's a huge <laughs> area. It's insane.
0: Oh, so. cool. No, but yeah, I'm not sure about what a moor is anymore. <laughs>
1: no. Hold on. carry on. Okay. How I heard about this is I have a Letterboxd account, which I use to track all of my movies because I'm a huge movie buff. And Nerd. Yeah, I've seen almost, (laughs) to date, entered almost 2,000 movies that, like, I actively remember watching in my life. And then it suggests them for you, right? Sometimes, but you can look up lists. So sometimes you just click through and you'll be like, this is a director I like. And you'll just look them up and it'll list, like, all the movies they've done. And you can go through, read synopsis, read reviews, and you can add it to a watch list. Okay. And that tracks things that you want to see in the future. So if ever you're, like, sitting there and being like, I don't know what I want to watch, you can flip through there and be like, hey, these are some movies that I said I wanted to watch at some point. And it tracks them for you. So at some point, I had just looked up a true crime list on Letterboxd. And I came across this 1999 documentary entitled "The Moors Murders," with this picture of the two that like did these crimes. And it was just this DVD cover, and for some reason, just their like cold, dead stares. (laughs) Just I was like, (laughs) I want to, yeah, like I want to know more about these two. But that was probably two years ago, and I didn't watch it until. I decided to do it now, when it was the UK, and I was like, didn't that take place in Scotland or something? So I was like, oh, I'm going to use that for this time. Ooh. So, I'm excited for the
0: Moore's Murders.
1: <laughs> yeah. So most of my information I got off of actually Wikipedia, and then I backed up and went through the Moore's Murders 1999 documentary, which was done by... Uh, interviews through, like, family members of the victims, as well as interviewing the police and the detectives who worked on the case. Cool. And then I also watched a another docu- another- a couple other documentaries that involved, like, the victims' families. There was one that included audio tapes, um, from one of the people that committed the crimes. Um, so that was kind of eerie because it's an older case. It happened in the '60s, so you don't normally get to hear these people talk about the crimes necessarily. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for
0: sure. It's like it's not always televised. Um, yeah, I don't think they started doing that like televising courtroom stuff until later, and then that kind of blew up in their faces a bit. So yeah, <laughs> it fell out of favor.
1: <laughs> so. As I said, this one's called the Moore's Murders. It's actually notorious in the area. It's notorious for the fact that this is just extremely grisly what happened. Um, I don't have a lot of graphic details because, again, it was the 60s. They didn't really release that kind of information at the time.
0: Um, I mean, that's okay with yeah. me. <laughs> I'll take a kill count instead and just, <laughs> yeah, I'll know the death toll and I'll be like,
1: that is pretty gross. <laughs> so, uh, on Oct- I have a little bit, this is the only part that's going to be out of order. On October 7, 1965, police received a phone call from a phone booth and a man confesses to being involved with the cover-up of a murder and he thinks that the couple who killed the boy involved have killed many, many others. So, the man on the right side of the picture is named Ian Brady. Ian? Ian Brady. What were you doing, Ian? Oh, he's... Let me just say, he is one of the most confusing and intriguing people I have ever researched. Like yeah okay. and he is he is like the worst person but like at He's the same the time you're like oh, just tell me more <laughs> like probably the stuff he was talking about at the time was probably extremely fascinating for somebody that just wanted like a difference of opinion on things I guess yeah yeah I, I mean, mean like he was just throwing out wild shit all the time and people were probably fascinated and thought this dude was a fucking freak because he was but yeah
0: yeah, it's like I listened to something on Sid and Nancy the other day. They're kind of like tragically romantic and <laughs> odd, to say yeah. the least.
1: These two are in odd and nightmare people. So, okay, uh, Ian Brady was born in Glasgow, Scotland, on January second, nineteen thirty-eight, uh, to Margaret Peggy Stewart. That's his mom, and she was a tea room waitress. Um, oh yeah I'm not sure what a tea room is well you can go for fancy high tea oh that's once in Victoria so (laughs) the actual identity of Brady's father has never been reliably confirmed but his mother at one point I guess told him that he was a newspaper reporter who had died three months before he was even born oh daddy issues <laughs> yeah, he's got some kind of issues i don't know why margaret his mom had little support in raising him and after only a few months she was forced to give brady up to the care of mary and john sloan um so they Aww. were just people that kind of like took him in i don't know if it was like i think this was more of like probably foster care type situation um okay. when they took him in he changed his last name to their last name and he became Ian Sloan. And his mo- it, it is said that his mother did often visit him when he was living with them. Okay. Um, yeah, so she wasn't completely absent. She didn't like abandon him completely. She just couldn't care for him because she was a single mom at the time.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. It'd be difficult. Yeah. It is difficult.
1: (laughs) During his childhood, it is said multiple times that he apparently tortured animals, but Brady, like, adamantly denies this. Um, but what we know of, like, people that go on to kill people, that typically there is some sort of, like, animal cruelty involved at some point.
0: Yeah, there's the, I I forget the name for it, but there's that... theory of the trifecta of yeah. killing, killing things. And what is it? Bedwetting and lighting fires or something.
1: Yeah, I will say for Brady there, he fits none of those. There's li- in li- out of any of the evidence I found and people talk about, there was no evidence oh. of any bedwetting, no evidence of physical abuse from anybody that raised him, no evidence of animal cruelty. Him and, um, the girl, Myra Hindley actually had a dog that they loved. They loved this dog. Um, yeah, wait,
0: no, that goes against the theory. You have a dog, you can take care of something. You, you must be
1: okay. (laughs) (sighs) So (laughs) that's why I, I kind of go back and forth. That's why I brought it up because I don't, based on my research of him, I don't agree that he tortured animals. I don't feel like that fits with his image, quote unquote. Okay. Um, so he was said to be extremely smart a very smart kid and he liked the outdoors and he even went to school at the Shawlands Academy which was a school for above average students at the time so he's extremely oh. smart even at a very young age
0: right yeah and yeah there's definitely been some bumps in his childhood poor guy
1: so far <laughs> yeah so he continued to have behavior problems including um he had like a few behavior problems so uh, including a two year or he had two juvenile court dates for breaking into houses. Um oh, little yeah. beanie. Yeah. Uh <laughs> and at the age of fifteen he left that academy and he ended up dropping out of school and he became or he got a job as a tea boy. I think so he was just kinda of working at a waitress as a high at a high tea place, I assume. Oh no. Yeah.
0: Waste of potential.
1: Yeah. After nine months working there, he ended up working as a butcher's messenger boy. I don't know how many messages butchers were sending at the time, but apparently that was an occupation.
0: Well, negotiating
1: meat prices. (laughs) I guess. uh, um... The farmers, I'm not too sure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Around this time, he had a girlfriend named Evelyn Grant, but they broke up when... Brady threatened her with a switch knife after she had attended a dance with another boy.
0: Oh. So, d- d- uh, what's his name, Ian? <laughs> yeah. I I call him Brady for most of this because uh, Oh. Yeah. Okay, that's where I got confused. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's not don't worry. It's not hard to do. <laughs> um <laughs> Brady, Brady.
1: During this time, so around age 15, um age I guess 15 through 17. He had another court appearance. This time there were nine charges against him. It didn't specify what these nine charges were but by his 17th birthday he had been placed on probation when was sent to live with his mother who now lived in Manchester and had married a fruit merchant named Patrick Brady.
0: Ah so they became united in Manchester. That's, so... a, that's a little Manchester United joke for you, uh, <laughs> UK
1: listeners. That was terrible. I'm sorry. Carry on. <laughs> Ian Brady helped Patrick, his, like, stepfather, as a fruit porter, and he obviously took Patrick's last name. What's his last name now? His original last name was Stuart, and then it was Sloan, and now it's Brady. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So his first name is still Ian. Yeah. His first name is still
0: Ian. My God. I am, I'm going to write this down. Ian?
1: (laughs) Ian Brady. (laughs) Brady. No. All right. So the next year, uh, he is charged with thefts or is, yeah, he gets charged with like various thefts in and around Manchester. And just has a kind of a rap sheet of various jobs he's fired from. He seems to not really be able to hold down a place. But it's wow. around this time he decided to better himself. He ended up picking uh, up instruction manuals on bookkeeping. So like accounting from the library. And it's reported he would spend or he would lock himself in his room for hours like studying them. He taught himself like bookkeeping and accounting. Okay. Okay. So he studies the bookkeeping, and by 1959, he was working in a clerical job at a place called Millwards. It was a chemical distribution company. So this is really like the job he and Hinley had said like held down. Um, this is where they met. Um, the
0: woman. Yeah.
1: His woman. We'll get His to her woman. story. Okay. <laughs> um. So. Oh, dear. His co-workers described him as quiet, he was punctual, but often short-tempered. And the reason why I said this guy's an asshole, um, not only did he go on to murder people, which we'll get to, but during this time, he became extremely fascinated by Nazis, and he purchased a book called Teach Yourself German. Which he used to be able to read the Mein Kampf in original German. Ah, And he also Yeah. Used his library card to check out several books that went into graphic detail explaining Nazi war crimes and atrocities perpetrated by the Nazis. I'm not gonna say
0: okay. He sounds nuts for Nazis, but yeah. I did go through a phase where I was interested and checked out lots of books about World War II oh, yeah. from the library as a as a child. Yeah, I, it's like it's fascinating because it terrifies me so much.
1: Yeah, this so, is yeah. we'll get to it.
0: This is a few. There's a few red flags that are yeah. adding t- up here together, though.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he also at this time he used a Tiger Club motorcycle to get around. Um, so he himself didn't own a car. He had a little motorcycle that he used. Okay. So this cuts us to Myra Hindley. Um so she is the I guess counterpart to him and their murderous couple.
0: It's actually is it funny as Nancy. I mean, yeah, the, no, sorry.
1: <laughs> it's it's funny because out of everything, people rag on her the most and say she is oh. like the absolute worst human that has ever walked on the face of the earth like I absolutely hate her what? I kind of go back and forth like I'm 50/50 I feel like she had a bit of that I feel like she got brainwashed a bit too which we'll get into
0: People are layered yeah. like onions But they actually don't
1: talk too much about him. Like, even in the documentaries, they're like, I can't believe she did this. I can't believe she did this. They don't even really bring up him, which is funny.
0: It's just like when you get a cheater and then they blame the other woman or something. It's like,
1: hey, it takes two to tango. (laughs) Yep. And they, they, let's just say this couple definitely, they complete each other. Uh, They tangoed. (laughs) Yep. They completed each other in the worst way possible. Oh, no. (laughs) So, Myra Hindley, she was born in Crumpshaw.
0: Oh, Crumpshaw. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. (laughs) Crumpetshire. No. (laughs) Crumpetshire. No, no, no. (laughs) Okay.
1: So, she was born on July 23rd, 1942. She was raised in a place called Gorton and later on lived in Manchester.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Her parents were Nellie and Bob Hindley. Her father, it's recorded, reported he was an alcoholic who beat her regularly. Oh, nice. Yeah. Something said that, like, some sources in the documentary said she had a fantastic upbringing, her family was rich, and they don't know why she turned out so bad. Everything else literally points exactly the opposite. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe one biased article. <laughs> yeah, even <laughs> no, by this the was parents. coming. No, <laughs> that was from like the 1999 documentary that I watched, and it was the investigators saying that, which I find very hard to believe.
0: Hmm. It's like yeah. all signs point to no. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but so, either way. Yeah. Um, the house that they grew up in was in extremely poor condition, and when Hindley's sister Maureen was born uh Myra so Myra Hindley was sent to live with her grandmother nearby because they couldn't even afford or had a room for both of the girls at the same time. So Ugh. yeah. Sucks how
0: things were before contraceptives. Yeah. Wait, yeah, 1942. Yeah, just before, yeah.
1: just a few decades away. <laughs> uh Hindley's father, he was an alcoholic. He was also an army man and he was described army as man like a very hard man. He hated weakness and at some point he even made Hindley uh knock out like a local boy who had scratched her. And so he taught what? her how to fight and at age 8 oh. she knocked him down with a series of brutal punches pretty much to the face until he went unconscious. She was 8.
0: Oh, I mean cool to teach her to defend herself, but whoa, yeah. yeah. The military can certainly make you real tough.
1: Yeah, a bit too far for an eight-year-old, you know? Uh, (laughs) that was a bit much. Yeah, this is why I find it so hard to believe that investigators are like, she had a great upbringing, her family was amazing, they were rich. And I'm like, really? I don't believe that. And, you know, rich people
0: aren't without their problems.
1: (laughs) Yeah. At 13, she blamed herself for the death of her closest friend, Uh, He was a fellow 13-year-old Michael Higgins. Higgins had drowned while him and some friends were swimming in a disused reservoir, I guess as one does. Ah. Yeah. And he had gone that morning to invite Hindley to join them and the others, along with his friends, but she had said no, she didn't want to. And he ended up drowning um and hindley blamed herself because she was an extremely good swimmer and believed that if she had actually said yes and gone with them that she would have saved his life and that was her brother no this was her like best friend oh
0: yeah i'm gonna say it was sounded like a reminded me of it when the older brother blames himself for the younger brother yeah
1: so So, budgie during this time, she became quite religious and even got baptized as a ca- as a Catholic. Um, so it said that religion was like a he- extremely important to her.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Turn.
1: Uh, Hindley's first job was a junior clerk at a local electrical engineering firm, where she kind of. I, I say she was, like, an intern nowadays, so she got, she ran errands, she got, like, tea, um, stuff like that for people. Oh, they
0: both, they both got tea for people.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. it said that she was very well-liked, she was really nice, and at 17, she had gotten engaged briefly, but called it off saying that the man was immature and could not properly provide for her
0: damn (laughs) snip
1: uh hindley i don't know what age it must have been between 17 and 18 um she had been taking judo lessons
0: but But, okay of course she was
1: (laughs) this is really the only thing that describes how violent like violent tendencies she may have harbored before she met brady Um, So, while she was taking judo lessons, it was hard for her to fight with others, even, like, boys, because she, it said that she was often slow to release her grip from them, so she would hold on just a little too long. Okay. Yeah, when, like, sparring and (laughs) stuff. She liked it a little too much? No. I guess so. (laughs) So, she later took a job at an engineering company, but ended up getting fired after six months for not showing up okay yeah she kind great. of seems that all over the place out. yeah And <laughs> um, so this brings us to them as a couple so in january this is of... gonna
0: be just great yeah <laughs> i can just it's tell just the best of the best
1: best couple goals. Yeah. even if
0: yeah even if you hadn't told me that this was a true crime case i'd been like okay here we go hold on to your butts <laughs> yeah
1: so <laughs> in january of 1961 Eighteen-year-old Hindley joined the Millards Chemical Company as a typist. Where this is where she became infatuated with Brady, who at the time was twenty-three. And okay,
0: yeah, and she, she was
1: similar. She's eighteen. Oh, okay, five years. Yeah, that's not too bad,
0: but no, I've um, done it.
1: <laughs> yeah, even with his criminal background, so she was kind of hesitant about his criminal background when she found out but she was obsessed with Brady it said that they didn't even talk for the first six months that they worked together so they didn't even go out on a date for a year after they started working together and she was writing about him literally every day in her journal like obsessed and they didn't even so she wrote about being obsessed with him for six months before they even spoke like she
0: wow yeah. she sounds not super mature for her age <laughs> no so it's like okay so she chill
1: found out about his like criminal background so the few robberies um stuff like that probably he kept a, or she kept a journal in which he increasingly wrote about Brady after six months of working together they finally spoke for the first time and after a year of working together they went out to see a movie on December 22nd um they both give conflicting reports funnily enough about what that movie was I can't even remember what it was I didn't put it in my notes um
0: oh my God there was no movie they never went
1: uh the couple they I guess you'd call them a couple, it wasn't really confirmed, but they went out at the end of the year, um, and then they continued to see movies, this was like a tradition of theirs, but the movies they ta- <laughs> they ta- they saw. <laughs> <laughs> they thought they saw a ta- <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly. The <laughs> movies that they went out to see were typically X-rated, they- they Ooh. then would go back to Brady's house and drink, of course you guessed it, German wine.
0: German wine, Ooh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Gertzweminer, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and That's actually pretty good, I think.
1: And of course, you know, when there are many discussions, Brady just had to share how much he loved the Nazis. Ooh, I guess Hindley after was... After they got
0: drunk on their German wine and yeah. got into it after their pornos. Right? <laughs> so they had some
1: little Nazi pillow talk. <laughs> oh, no, not even pillow talk. It is said that at their lunch breaks at work, they were taking turns reading aloud to each other from books about Nazi war crimes on their lunch breaks at work. So let's just say people probably didn't want to sit with them because they're just like, yeah. And then he gassed the children. Oh, yay. That's a question for Reddit. What's the
0: worst thing someone's done in your lunchroom? Right? (laughs) For Ask Reddit.
1: Yeah. Just reading aloud. Just like, okay, your turn. Honey, like I said, these two be- <laughs> these two completed each other in the worst way possible. Ooh, um, yeah. But in these readings, and with Brady's fascination with the Nazis, Hindley, who was born with very dark hair, started to emulate what she could of the ideal of Aryan perfection. She began bleaching her hair bleach blonde and wearing bright, like, crimson blood red lipstick. Yeah. <sighs> gross i don't know it's just going off the rails yeah i'm sure so of course in her diary entries she kept she continued to write about her obsession with brady while also writing to a friend a letter where she expressed concerns about a time brady drugged her don't know more oh i
0: would also express concerns (laughs) yeah (laughs) big big concerns so apparently brady
1: drugged her Um, but it is said that soon after she wrote this letter to her friend because she was still seeing Brady she contacted her friend a second time and asked that friend to destroy the letter I assume she did because we don't have the letter maybe the police did or something he found out yeah Hindley continued to change her appearance and started wearing described as risky clothes for the time So she was wearing, like, high thigh-high boots or high boots, extremely short skirts. She was wearing leather jackets. So, whatever. Um, I like
0: leather jackets.
1: Yeah, but for the time. For the time.
0: (laughs) Oh, a hussy. Hussy. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And the couple began to withdraw from others. So, like, friends, family, and even their colleagues at work. However, they increasingly spent their time at the library checking out books on philosophy as well as crime and torture. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> philosophy and crime and torture. <laughs> so I'm like, this one's I about mean... philosophy, this one's about murder. Okay. Both
0: interesting subjects in their own right, but an interesting combination.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, they vary. It goes back and forth. Um, mm. So during this time, uh, Hindley, she didn't have a driver's license. So legally, she wasn't allowed to drive, but she regularly l- rented vans in which the couple had planned to use originally to rob banks. So that's how their crime spree was going to be. They were going to rob a bunch of banks.
0: I love that they rented her cars without a driver's license.
1: <laughs> right. And the couple, um, or this is mainly Hindley, um, she befriended a leader of the local rifle club. Um, it said she tried to join, but they said she was too bad of a shot and she was reckless Aww. with the gun. Yeah. So they didn't feel safe having her in the rifle club, but the rifle club leader did get, put them in touch with a few of the rifle club members who were selling guns, and the couple was able to purchase two guns.
0: Yay. Yay. I mean, <laughs> bank robbery
1: plans. And unregistered guns. <laughs> yeah, extremely unregistered because this is the <laughs> '60s. I don't even think they were registering guns. Oh my god! So the couple, and another reason I really wanted to do this is there's literally hundreds upon hundreds of pictures that Hindley and Brady took of themselves on the moor, of friends and family. It said Brady was like obsessed with photography so you can find i'd say probably close to 100 to 150 pictures of this couple online in the file folder i put and what we'll put on the website are just some of the ones i liked the best yeah because you said that they were like well dressed and stuff i thought i have to say this looks like some of these pictures look like they came from i don't know like a few of them look like they came from like magazines or it could be like ads for things and You're as like an amateur, very
0: evil in the only photo I saw so far. I yeah, was like, ew.
1: I have to say, as like an amateur photographer myself, looking at the pictures, I'm a, I'm like they will just without like disassociating from the murder spree. <laughs> I'm just like they're such a cute couple, and these pictures are great. <laughs> Look <at> that angle. <laughs> right? I'm like these pictures are great.
0: Um, oh god. Yeah, I hope their murders are just as classy.
1: Oh, they're <laughs> fucking art. Um, so the couple enjoyed photography, and Brady took pictures many like pictures of Hindley and her dog puppet, and oh, puppet. yeah. And it said as well, but there's no pictures online posted um that they also took like what at the time would be considered explicit pictures um,
0: explicit, which was harder then because you had to like get them developed. yeah you can't just it's not just like a click on your phone
1: (laughs) i'm pretty sure he was probably developing his own because it said he owned like multiple cameras and stuff and they still take
0: a lot of work though yeah you know
1: yeah but yeah you're right you're right let's just say they took pictures of not just themselves but sometimes of bodies so i'd say they probably weren't getting these developed by anybody other than themselves I hope so. <laughs> so somebody weren't
0: doing their job. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh my god. So between July 1963 and October 1965 in and around Manchester, the couple committed five murders of children between the ages of 10 and 17. So throw that out there and just rip the band-aid right off. And, well, <laughs> yeah we've got
0: we've done quite enough backstory (laughs) yeah
1: four of the five are for sure confirmed to have been sexually assaulted oh yeah Yeah. and in july of 1963 hindley says that brady began talking about quote-unquote committing the perfect murder and often spoke about the 1956 novel compulsion by meyer levin in which the plot is that two young men from wealthy fla wealthy flam-lies? families Families! <laughs> <laughs> plan to kidnap and murder a 12 year old boy and escape the death penalty because of their age. Um. What? What? Yeah. What with their age? What? Right? Yeah, it just says that it's- the plot of the book is just two young oh. men. Um, I don't know what their age is supposed to be, but they- oh, in Jesus. this book they escape the death penalty because of their age, and in the book, they call it the perfect murder. So Brady becomes obsessed with Hindley and him committing the perfect murder. And at this time, the couple was living with Hindley's grandmother at her house. Oh no! So, Why always
0: the grandmother's involved?
1: Right. Ugh. On unfortunately, these there isn't a lot of details. Hindley and Brady like never really went into super detailed about what they did and they actually got away with it for a number of years um, of course so not did. a lot of details out there but what i included is what kind of the consensus of was from various documentaries in wikipedia so on july 12th brady told hindley to drive the van that they had rented in her name around while he drove on his motorcycle um so what they would do is he would kind of he would be parked on the other side of the street I assume and he would be like looking in one direction and then Hindley would be parked on the other side of the street facing him so they could see each other and what they would do is Brady would like look down the street and when he saw somebody walking down the street that he wanted essentially to kill or wanted as a victim he would flash his headlights on his motorcycle and Hindley would see this she'd be sitting in the passenger side and she would get their attention on the street and be like hi I need help and then they would lure them into the van
0: no likey
1: that's (laughs) why people don't like Hindley is because of her she's actually the one that lured all the victims and without her it's believed that none of them would have gone with Brady so without her none of this would have ever happened but at the same time without brady none of it would have happened either
0: right and i would assume she participated in other ways yeah. she would just be like oh I, I know he like kills people but that's just his like hobby right
1: we don't that's have all the, the same weekend. interests it's <laughs> we're
0: not one person <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah so as i said once brady found like somebody he wanted he would flash the headlights uh, but at this time, when Brady flashed his headlights on July twelfth for the girl that was walking past Hindley in the van, Hindley actually ignored him because he recognized the girl as an eight-year-old neighbor of her mom's. Sorry, so, he he recognized the girl. No, Hindley did. She recognized okay. the girl. Oh, okay. Um, That's
0: an yeah. eight. Oh my God.
1: So yeah, eight years old. Um, but that same day around 7.30, Brady saw a girl who was 16-year-old Pauline Reed, who also ended up being a schoolmate of Sindley's or of Hindley's sister, Maureen. Um, so they were like former schoolmates of Hindley's younger sister. Oh, that's why she looks so young and sweet and innocent. Yeah. only 16. The couple disagrees about who actually picked Pauline, Um, They kind of point the finger at each other, but they agreed between the two of them that a 16 year old would be given less attention if they disappeared than an eight year old would be. So they decided to go with Pauline Reed.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter why. You both (laughs) were assholes.
1: And once in the van, Hindley asked Reed, who obviously knew her because she was a friend of Hindley's younger sister and she said that she had lost a very expensive glove in her set that she had and she had lost it on the saddleworth moor and she needed help looking for it
0: no so Uh.
1: pauline gets in the van because she knows myra and says yeah i'll help or hindley and says yeah i'll help you look for your glove so brady essentially followed them as they drove to the moor he kind of held back a little bit so Pauline wouldn't see him. And then he arrived later and Hindley was like, yeah, this is my boyfriend. He's going to help us look too. And it was kind of like, yeah, cool. Um, And then at this point, Hindley kind of claims that she stayed in the van the entire time. But that's not really the consensus. Kind of goes back and forth, as I said. They really just like blaming each other for everything in this.
0: Uh-oh. They went to a moor. I don't like that. Yeah, that's why it's called the Moor's
1: Murders.
0: (laughs) Okay, I was still confused because I wasn't sure when you said at the first it was a big area if you were confirming that. Yeah, it's huge. Um, Okay, it's a big, unpopulated, yeah, yeah, It's just huge,
1: rocky, there's streams, there's like a lake, there's mountains, hills, ravines, everything.
0: Right, because of all my extensive outlander reading. I was aware there was a lot of moors and then yeah. also high rocky <laughs> cliffs and highlands and lowlands in Scotland. Yeah. But, oh, it's like, oh, you don't have anywhere to run or hide. Yeah. That's
1: scary. So this specifically is the Saddleworth Moor where these all happened. So Brady, Hinley, and Pauline are at the moor. Hindley says that she stayed in the van while Brady took Reed into the moor to quote-unquote look for a lost glove and Hindley says she just sat in the van for half an hour (laughs) yeah she just sat there for half an hour and then Brady suddenly returned 30 minutes later and took Hindley to where it said that Reed was laying dying it's kind of unknown whether or not Reed was already fully dead at this point but it said that Reed's clothing was messy and she had been nearly decapitated with two cuts to the throat including a four inch incision across her voice box and it said uh, that the yeah this one's like no. really the only graphic one that they gave stuff about um, i don't know
0: why i wasn't ready but i wasn't ready for that yeah voice box
1: yeah the weirdest part is that the collar of her coat along with a like throat chain necklace that she had been wearing had been like pushed inside of the cut in her throat oh no. yeah that's just gross too None of it is... No. no. Yeah. Uh, Hindley says that Brady confirmed he had sexually assaulted Reed by saying, of course I did. I can totally see why you're with this guy. Like? You should see my face. It's so scrunchy. (laughs) Uh, Hindley stayed with Reed, like the body, I guess, while Brady went to get a shovel that they had hidden and buried in preparation. And Hindley says that she returned to the van while brady went and he like dug reed's grave and they buried her or he buried her brady says that hindley was present though and actually participated in both the sexual assault and the murder he
0: claims okay yeah yeah yeah. yeah. that would make sense because yeah they blame each other yeah i mean i don't know why would she go out there if she wasn't i guess right gonna be part of it
1: so Reed's prior boyfriend so Pauline Reed's prior boyfriend was 15 year old David Smith who had three prior convictions for minor crimes um like very minor crimes and he had actually briefly dated Maureen who's again is Hindley's younger sister um so he's current or yeah he's David Smith 15 years old is Pauline Reed's like last prior boyfriend so when she kind of turns up missing and stuff he's questioned by the police about her disappearance but later gets cleared um he comes back so remember him so david (laughs) right you can flip to picture 12 this is john kilbride oh
0: he's just a little baby angel
1: yeah so out of five victims it's i don't know if it's interesting but three of them are boys and brady says he assaulted them all so people kind of like speculate on whether or not he was actually gay this whole time or not i don't know anyway well yeah who knows at least half he's at least by. i would argue something's going on so on november 23rd 1963 at a like local market it said that john kilbride After school and stuff, he used to go to the market and he would kind of help out the vendors and stuff before he went home. Yeah. So at this time, he was at the market and he was 12 years old when the couple offered him a ride home from the market and said that his parents would be worrying about him being out so late.
0: Um, (sighs) Bastards.
1: Yeah. And it's... One source I saw, it said that they also promised him a bottle of sherry if they drove him home. Yeah.
0: I would have said yes for sure. Yeah. He's what, 12? Yeah.
1: So <laughs> like, they told... Yes, please. Yeah. So he gets in the van, they start driving, and then they told Kilbride that they would stop at their place for the sherry before they took him home, which, you know, would make sense. And then during that Anything drive... Anything would make
0: sense to him. He's like, they're adults.
1: Right and then it's during that drive back to quote-unquote their place that they make another detour and tell him that they have to take him to the moor to help him search for henley's lost glove no right there was
0: never a glove does she have one glove on when she's doing this
1: like Um, michael jackson style i don't know if i even have the picture of it but there's a picture of her holding the quote-unquote suspected gloves that she was using And they were, like, velvet. They would have been pretty expensive, like, gloves. Praying on people's
0: wanting to help, also. Right?
1: So, yeah, lost glove. When they got to the moor, again, Brady took Kilbride with him. Hindley says she waited in the car. It said that Brady (sighs) sexually assaulted Kilbride, cut his throat with a six-inch serrated knife. But it said that that knife ended up being too blunt um to like stab him. No. So he ended up strangling Kilbride with like a shoelace or a piece of string or something.
0: I thought you said you didn't have these details. Woof. It's not as
1: graphic as some things are. But mm.
0: Is it... douche
1: canoe. Right? Uh so a huge search was started. There was seven hundred statements taken, five hundred missing posters were printed for Kilbride and when there was he was eight days missing there was over two thousand volunteers that searched at like a waste ground area and buildings it said that hindley during this time even hi- reportedly hired two different vehicles within a week like rented the vehicles within a week apart during this time to check if his grave site was disturbed or not hindley did so she ch- mm. kept going back to the moor and making sure his grave wasn't disturbed to know whether or not they were found out. Yeah, and... she's definitely aiding and yeah. abetting and all that. Um, in February of 1964, Hindley finally got her driver's license and began driving her own vehicle. So they don't have, like, the rental contracts or whatever to be able to track them with anymore.
0: That's oh, so... pfft. Didn't sound like they were really tracking them. She didn't have a fucking license. What right. ID did she give them? Like...
1: Yeah um so you can go to the next picture this is keith bennett he is (laughs) 12 years old and on june 16th 1964 hinley asked the then 12 year old keith bennett who was on his way to his grandmother's house for help with loading some boxes into her vehicle and that in exchange she would drive him to his grandmother's so he didn't have to walk all the way so he's like great um brady was in the back of the van and on the way to keith bennett's grandmother's house the three ended up driving to the moor where brady went off with bennett to supposedly look for a lost glove you do the same thing every time and (sighs) brady returned 30 minutes later alone carrying a shovel he said that he sexually assaulted bennett and strangled him with a piece of string jimmy johnson who at the time was bennett's stepfather ended up being the main suspect in bennett keith bennett's disappearance and was questioned four times over the next two years so the next picture picture 14 this is david smith i mentioned earlier he was questioned in pauline reed's disappearance and this is also maureen hindley's sister so at this time 60s hair yeah woof (laughs) hindley and maureen like their big hair um and so hindley's sister maureen and david smith kind of started dating again and they ended up getting married on august 15th 1964. none of the family at all approved on like the hindley side and their marriage ended up just being performed at the register office and maureen at the time was seven months pregnant they moved into David Smith's father's house and they kind of got acquainted more with Brady during this time and Brady suggested that they join him and Hindley for kind of a couple's four-day trip to Windermere. And it's reported that Brady was kind of taking a liking to Smith. They liked hanging out. Oh, good. (laughs) Question mark. You might not die. (laughs) Oh, he's not going to die. He's just going to maybe wish he died. I don't know. No. Yeah. So the two spoke about society, the distribution of wealth, and planned robbing a bank together. Just friend things. What? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they keep going back to robbing a bank. Um, You're already wait, murdering wait. people. Why are you planning to rob a bank? Oh, I didn't. I thought that was the first time. I can't remember. Okay, no, <laughs> no that him and Hindley had previously planned on robbing banks together. I mean, maybe that's where they could have got their adrenaline rush
0: instead. They should have started with that and then escalated if necessary.
1: Right. Ugh. So it's reported that Smith also liked hanging out with Brady, and that during this four-day trip, he paid for all of Brady's food and drinks. And Hindley, it's said that she was extremely jealous of the two, like, forming a friendship like this, but during the trip, she took it as a chance to become significantly closer to her sister. Which, I mean, that's nice.
0: Uh, <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> in
1: 1964, Brady, Hindley, and her grandmother were actually rehoused as part of the post-war slum clearances. So they were living in, like, the slums. So they got rehoused to a different neighborhood. And the couple became friends with their neighbor who was an 11-year-old girl who lived a few houses down. Her name was Patricia Hodges. Oh. And they also became friends with a neighbor um, in the doc- one documentary I watched. And she was actually interviewed. She just asked for her face to be obscured. Um, and I have a picture of her with Hindley. It's one of the only color photos. Along with pa- Patricia and Carol... The couple would take, like, a few of, like, the younger neighborhood girls to the moor to collect peat and go for, like, garden, or go for, um, picnics. But they would go to collect peat (laughs) because it was commonly used to improve soil in gardens. Mm -hmm. Um, But these girls, they decided not to harm any of them as they knew they would be found too easily because they lived, like, only a few houses away from them and And still gross yeah on boxing day (laughs) in 1964 hinley left her grandmother at a relative's house and refused to let her come back to the house that night i thought they were just ditching her because they wanted the house for themselves but it turns out it was even worse so if you go to picture 15 no this is leslie ann downey leslie ann downey with her two younger brothers so on the day that okay. Hindley took her grandmother to a relative's house and then wouldn't let her back is the same day that a year, that the couple, say 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey, was witnessed alone at like a carnival fun fair. They were coming home from doing some grocery shopping and they deliberately dropped some of the shopping in front of Leslie Ann and asked her to help them take it to their vehicle and then... If she could, I don't know, get in your vehicle with them and then help us load it into our house, question mark? Because that seems, like, very necessary for a 10-year-old to help you with. Yeah, but she wouldn't know any better. I know. The reason why the couple wanted the house alone is because this one's the worst one. At the house, Downey was undressed, gagged, forced to pose for, like, pornographic pictures before she was sexually assaulted and killed by strangulation. Hindley claims that she came back into the room and found that, like, Downey was covered in blood and cold, that she, like, wanted to wash her off or something. So she went to fill the bath, and when she came back is when she found her, like, fully dead. But Brady claims that Hindley was actually the one who killed Downey again they just go back and forth they blame each other for everything but the next morning the couple drove her body to the moor and buried her in a shallow grave they buried her naked with her clothes at her feet and later that day Hindley went and brought her grandmother home that's why they had wanted the house to themselves and a huge search for Downey was started by February 1965 the like little girl in the neighborhood that was Hindley and Brady's neighbor that they used to take to the moor she had kind of got creeped out by the couple and she had stopped visiting with them so she had like cut all ties with them however Hindley's brother-in-law David Smith was a regular visitor on Brady's terms um, so he would only really let them let him come over when Brady wanted him to come over and he and Maureen had also been rehoused in the same rehousing area. So they were, like, now essentially living across the street from each other. Oh. Yeah. I think people would be suspicious of
0: all this. You can't come home. You can't visit us whenever. Like.
1: Yeah. This is the last one. So you can go to picture 16. This is Edward Evans. Oh, at least it's an adult. Uh, I mean. He's still underage. He's 17. Oh. Yeah.
0: They kind of had a thing for the young.
1: Yeah. Young ones. Uh, so on October 6, 1965, Hindley and Brady went to the Manchester Central Railway Station and Hindley was waiting in her car while Brady supposedly selected their next victim. in the audio recordings, she thought this was going to be like just a hang kind of thing. They just were meeting somebody to hang with. Um, she says she didn't think it was for a victim of course it was for a victim hindley
0: yeah
1: um but he reportedly came back with 17 year old edward evans and brady this time weirdly enough introduced hindley as his sister and brady says that he claims he picked up evans only to have sex with him and that the couple were not interested or intended in any way to kill him so whatever
0: Ooh. yeah deny deny
1: deny okay we get your your defense no. don't know how they lured edward evans to come with brady or what because this is really the only victim brady lured interestingly enough and he says he he's like claimed it girlfriend was girlfriend's glove sex with him. no girlfriend sister bra <laughs> no he says it's his sister too this is the only one he says oh, right. that, that they're not a couple too yeah it's weird
0: yeah and
1: so he's like my sister is pretty hot you want to come meet her (laughs) yeah right so the three of them went back to the couple's house for some wine during which brady sent hindley to go get her brother-in-law smith the 17 year old to join them when hindley returned she and smith waited outside for a signal and after being signaled smith knocked on the door and Brady answered asking him if he had come for quote the miniature wine bottles Make no sense
0: minis
1: (laughs) yeah um and Brady led Smith into the kitchen and left him there um so Smith does have a statement um so Smith later told police quote I waited about a minute or two and then suddenly this is when he's in the kitchen Suddenly, I heard a yell of a scream, or I heard a hell of a scream. It sounded like a woman, really high-pitched. Then the screams carried on, one after another, really loud. Then I heard Myra shout, Dave, help him, very loud. When I ran in, I just stood inside the living room and saw a young lad. He was lying with his head and shoulders on the couch, and his legs were on the floor. He was facing upwards, Ian, Brady, was standing over him, facing him with his legs on either side of the young lad's legs. The lad was still screaming. Ian had a hatchet in his hand. He was holding it above his head, and he hit the lad on the left side of his head with the hatchet. I heard the blow. It was a terrible, hard blow. It sounded horrible. That's very vivid. What the
0: fuck? Why all of a sudden they want witnesses?
1: Well, uh, there is kind of... One source out of four that I used had an explanation on why possibly Smith was involved suddenly. Okay. Um, So, Smith witnessed Brady then strangle Evans with the length of an electrical cord, during which time Brady accidentally sprained his ankle. After this whole commotion, uh, Edward Evans, his body was too heavy, and because Brady couldn't do anything because of his sprained ankle they persuaded smith to carry it alone into the car um yeah so yeah the three of them wrapped edward evans in plastic sheeting and ended up because the body was too heavy and smith he couldn't carry it alone into the car he kind (laughs) of tried they decided to kind of like drag it and just put it in the spare room where they locked the door this part is awful, but Smith agreed the next day to return with his baby's stroller and that they would put the body in his baby stroller to help move it. What the yeah. fuck? Uh, These guys are bonkers. So he, Edward, or er, um, David Smith, he got home around 3 a.m. And he came home to Maureen, Hindley's sister. And Maureen made him a cup of tea. Before he and kind of noticed he was acting strange, so he drank the tea and then immediately vomited it up and just spewed and blabbed, told her everything that had happened. Uh, Smith and Maureen waited until 6 a.m. and then the couple went to the phone booth armed with a screwdriver and a bread knife and called the police david smith was picked up at the phone booth directly by police and taken to the station where he told the police everything he knew the couple had lured smith to the house with the implication of pinning the murder on him in an effort to gain control over smith right they planned to pin everything on him if they got caught they'd be like when the other bodies turned up it would just be blamed on smith if the, the, other one, the other guy seen carrying a corpse. <laughs> yeah, one time. Yeah. Blame all yeah. of them on him. Um, so police went to the couple's home, weirdly enough, described, disguised as bread delivery men who were in the area. And they knocked on the door. Hindley <sighs> answered and they said, is your husband home? They, she denied that he was home. I guess she also doesn't have a husband. It's her boyfriend. But the cop identified himself and came inside finding Brady on the couch, writing to his employer that he had injured his ankle and wouldn't be coming in to work.
0: The the old ankle excuse again.
1: Yeah. The police explained at that point that they were investigating an act of violence involving guns that had occurred on the property the night before. The couple denied this, but did allow the police to search their home. Police asked at that point about a locked spare bedroom, where Hindley stated that It was locked because that's where they kept the couple's guns, and that she didn't have the key. Uh, Police threatened to knock down the door if she didn't open it, so Brady, sitting on the couch, just finally told her, give them the key. (laughs) Yeah, Give it to them. Police entered the room, obviously, found the body of Edward Evans wrapped up in plastic, like, laying on the floor, and... They then immediately went back into the living room where they arrested Brady on the spot for suspicion of murder. It's said while Brady was getting dressed, I don't know, Uh, he said Eddie and I had a row and the situation got out of hand. The
0: situation got out of hand, you copper! What do you want? What do you want? I just (laughs) strangled
1: him and hit him with a hatchet. I don't know why it sounds American. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whoops. <laughs>
1: uh, so at this point it's weird but Hindley was not arrested but she did follow them to the police station with her dog puppet. And no. Oh, yeah, to so she... stand by
0: her man. Yep. Yeah.
1: She refused <laughs> to say un- anything other than what happened with Eddie was an accident. And but so she it said that she like visited him in prison over the next like four I guess the next, like, couple days. Um, She visited dozens of times while he was in prison. But on October 11th, Hindley was arrested as an accessory to the murder of Evans. So this is the only one they have so far. Brady was insisting that Smith had killed Evans and that Hindley was just following what Smith had told her to do. And that he couldn't do anything because of his ankle. My ankle. Yeah, so he was saying, like, Smith was threatening her and because of my ankle I couldn't protect her so she just went along with what he told her to do yeah
0: oh good lord
1: so Smith told the police that the couple had gathered (laughs) many things he witnessed them do like after they killed Edward (laughs) Evans they did a whole they got a bunch of suitcases they put a shit ton of stuff into the suitcases and then they left them at Manchester Central Railway so he's like yeah there was books there was pictures A bunch of shit went in there. And he's like, you guys should look for it. So while searching the house, the police kind of didn't believe him, but while searching the house, they did find two luggage tickets from the train station, saying that multiple suitcases had been checked and never collected. So they went and collected the suitcases. Can you guess what were inside of them? Body parts and clothes? No, (laughs) a whole bunch of pictures of their crimes. And- Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah so inside one of the cases was an assortment of costumes magazines notes photographs negatives of photographs nine pornographic photographs taken of Downey, the little girl where she was naked with a scarf tied across her mouth one of the documentaries actually showed part of the picture fucking horrific it's not going to be on the website wow no um and a 16-minute audio tape recording of a girl identifying herself as Leslie Ann Weston. I think they meant Downey in the article, but this source said Weston. I think it's an error. And in this audio recording that's 16 minutes long, the little girl is screaming, crying, and pleading to be allowed to return home to her mom. And Aww. if you ever questioned Hindley's involvement, she can be heard on the tape Telling the little girl to shut fucking up and that she would hear no. her again and everything.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be good for the jury to hear, though.
1: Yeah, they did play it. They also, or no, yeah, they played it for the jury and they also played it for reporters and the reporters were like, that should not have been played. It was brutal. Yeah, yeah. it's dramatic just hearing about it. So inside the suitcase, they also found a book with the name John Kilbride in it just kind of doodled in the margins so with this the audio recording and the book they became suspects for two other missing children and when they were canvassing the neighborhood they spoke to Patricia Hodges a neighbor who had frequently visited them with visited with them on trips to the moor and suggested yeah. that the couple loved going there and went there constantly police began searching the moor for evidence because again they don't have any bodies other than Edward Evans so they're searching the more on October 16th they found an arm bone exposed in peat which I thought was hilarious but I mean sometimes it happens they found this arm bone exposed when one of the searchers who after they had already called off searching not even for the day they were just done looking they were over it they hadn't found anything this searcher before the I'm l- over it. Right? Before the long ride back into town was like, I gotta take a pee. So he just literally goes up past the hill where they can't see him, like fucking pulling his pants down to go piss in the moor. He just happens to glance down find an armbone. Like sticking up. Oh my god. It was it's a- it's right. Uh
0: what do you call it? it yeah, happened. it's definitely a synchronicity. You're like, yeah. yeah. Your your pee was leading the way. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Was your intuition. <laughs> so. Coming at you. <laughs> obviously, after he goes to the bathroom, he runs back to the vehicle and was like, guys, no, we can't stop. We have to go get this body. So the body was identified as Downey's, Leslie and Downey's. Oh. So police used the photographs of the moor that the couple had taken of themselves, little photo shoots, to help them match sites that the couples visited frequently. Okay, good. So- so they decide to use the pictures that the couple had taken of themselves to help identify, like, possible grave sites where the couple may have buried these bodies. Uh, picture 26 is a picture of Hindley. She is crouched down holding her dog, and it looks like she's just staring at these two rocks on the ground, and it's kind of sandy. Um,
0: yeah. So. She's got her dog, this... like, wrapped up in her coat. It must be tiny. Yeah. I was like, there's a dog? Okay, anyway. This picture... <laughs>
1: was strange to them because why should why would she be looking at the ground like so intently and like crouched in front of it they took this to somebody that was an expert i guess on the moors and said you need to find this spot so a bunch of like people who had photographed the moor before were able to use the picture to locate exactly where this was and yeah on October That's crazy. 21st like a needle
0: in a freaking haystack <laughs>
1: right? October 21st this is only five days after they find the first body they found the badly decomposed body of Kilbride who was identified by his shoe they couldn't even identify him by either his clothing or his body it was by shoe, and he was oh. buried under the two rocks that Hindley is posed in front of or behind in this picture That's exactly where his body was. Uh, She is staring at his body right after they buried it.
0: Right, that's the markers. Yeah.
1: So, with this, the police kind of searched, but they were unable to locate any other graves, and the remaining searches were called off. So at this point, the couple is charged with now three murders. They have two bodies, or three bodies, two from the Moors and one from their house. And police pressured Brady with the audio tape of Leslie Ann Downey being tortured and raped, and they pressured him, and Brady admitted to taking the photos, but he said that two men had brought Downey into their house. I oh, guess, okay. For him to use her, <laughs> and that when she was taken away by the two men again, she was still alive. But right,
0: right, right, right. So she was just delivered to him in a neat little package, and then yeah. probably carted away again.
1: But. Police didn't believe him, and of course used pictures the couple had taken of their house, including, I assume, probably pornographic pictures, um, and were able to match the headboard in pictures of the couple to pictures of Downey. So their headboard matched the pictures. Right,
0: but right, right, right. But they already yeah, knew. So they knew
1: she'd... Yeah. Yeah, like it's
0: <sighs> yeah. <sighs> um... They got them, Like they got. They just come on. Please tell me they go away for a long time. They do. Uh,
1: police also <laughs> use pictures from the moor featuring Hindley's dog, Puppet, to help t- them determine a the timeline. And they had a vet examine the dog. I don't really know. This was only mentioned on Wikipedia. Um, it's kind of weird, but... So I'm not sure how true this is, but... So they used a vet to examine the dog and the f- photos to compare the dog's ages in them to help determine a timeline. Um but during this procedure the dog had oh. to be put under and the dog accidentally died which reportedly yeah I don't really know why this that was necessary It's crazy. Yeah. But It's like what possible procedure were they right? doing? Oh my god, I don't even me mean no to sense. laugh. I'm just like
0: flabbergasted. Yeah. Like
1: I said this was only in one source. Um but I did include it in here because it said that Hinley was furious that her dog was killed. And police said that this was absolutely the only time they saw any even spark of an emotional response from her. They said they laid out pictures. They made her listen to audio tape. She didn't flinch. When she was given the news her dog died, she flipped. Yeah. I mean... I was just listening to something about how people are obsessed with their pets. <laughs> That's why I don't believe this whole thing about, like, them saying Brady was, like, torturing animals or anything when he was young. Because this dog, can you imagine if he had ever touched her fucking dog? You can murder and yeah. rape children, but you touch my know. fucking dog. Right?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, but he's certainly capable of harming living oh, yeah. creatures. Absolutely. Yeah
1: uh hindley was characterized by the press as i kind of hinted at before she was labeled the most evil woman in britain and the trial judge Jeff, justice fenton atkinson described brady and hindley in his closing remarks as quote two sadistic killers of the utmost depravity and smith if you've forgotten um the one who they tried to blame everything on he was being he actually wasn't like arrested. He was questioned multiple times, but because he had told police and come forward with what had happened immediately after it happened, he kind of helped them and gave any information he could and the police I'm sure mm-hmm. really appreciated that. Um so he kind of was at this time trying to sell the rights to his part of their story and Smith was being paid by newspapers for this. Which he was, of course, routinely questioned about and shamed by the public for profiting off helping cover up a murder. Because he did, even for a few hours, help cover it up. Yeah, Um, that's true. Yeah, but he was in fear for his life, too, and he obviously walking into that had no idea that's what he was walking into.
0: Um, I mean, it's sad what what sometimes people have to do to even get money these days, right? Who knows?
1: So the couple each pleaded not guilty... Brady, oh, they just, like, pointed the fingers at each other, as I mentioned a million times before. Uh, Brady was described <laughs> as the jury as arrogant and tidley. It's just said she had many excuses about being elsewhere at the times of crime, such as, I was downstairs. I was looking out a window. I was running a bath. Like,
0: she had a lot of baths. Yeah.
1: I was looking out a window while he stabbed somebody. I was just looking out the window in a day. I know. A little blood got on it. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the pair were charged with the deaths of Kilbride, Downey, and Evans and received life sentences. Now, you'll think, well, didn't they kill five people? At this point, the police didn't know that. So... Um, yeah better to get
0: them on what you can even sometimes yeah, even if exactly. you have more yeah
1: so, um jump ahead they've been in prison for 20 years when the investigation was reopened in 1985 after brady reportedly confessed to killing reed and bennett after he had been in prison for 20 years so oh, had to talk to his buddies didn't he yeah, it didn't really say how this confession came about, but Brady finally confirmed to the public that Hindley was also fully involved in all of the killings, which he, it's reported he was kind of not, like, he was trying to point the finger at her, but he was also kind of trying to, like, shield her from it, I guess? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the pair were individually taken to the moor area to help search for the bodies. Um... And there were also claims that Hindley had told a fellow inmate that she and Brady had killed a sixth victim. but That has never, ever been confirmed. Um Aww. Yeah. So, um, last little bit is pretty much just them in prison. Um, Brady, following his conviction, he asked to live in prison in solitary confinement. Which is kind of interesting. Um, he spent yeah. 19 years in prison before he was fully diagnosed as a psychopath in 1985. No surprise. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> he ended up being confined to a high security Ashworth hospital. Um, so they kind of, it said that they diagnosed him with like, along with being a psychopath, with like a mental disorder that was either at the time da- stated as schizophrenia or like some sort of personality disorder. So who knows if he actually had this, but he was transferred out of prison and into a ho- high security hospital. Okay, um, well definitely something's wrong with
0: him. <laughs> yeah, he
1: asked to never be released, ever, and he repeatedly asked that he be allowed to die by starvation or that he be given any means at all to allow himself to commit suicide. Um, That's
0: interesting, that's a bit like Ed Kemper with the asking yeah. not to be released.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right? Very interesting. He But nothing
0: else of it is, like, Ed Kemper. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: So yeah. he repeatedly and, like, constantly went on hunger strikes because he was wanting to starve himself to death and die. Um, however, because he was being treated for a supposed mental disorder, he legally was allowed to be force-fed. So every time he went on a hunger strike, they literally just put him a feeding tube in and forcefully kept him alive. Ugh. Um, <sighs> Well,
0: I don't know (laughs) (laughs) what to say about that. I mean,
1: he should have to suffer a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, During his time in prison, Brady wrote a book about the analysis of serial murder, where he recounted his friendship with the teacup prisoner. Um, So I think this is somebody he met in prison. I'm not sure who the teacup, or sorry, not the teacup prisoner. I did that every time. The teacup poisoner oh um, my god i don't know who this person is but he shared brady's admiration for nazi germany just in case you forgot he's obsessed with nazis um <laughs> and while he was in prison brady was once prevented from killing himself with 50 pers- paracetamol. i think that's just tylenol oh right? paracetamol or something paracetamol yeah. yeah i think it's like a pain reliever um, well, he had got fifty of these pills that had been hidden inside a book that was sent by a female friend of his.
0: Uh huh.
1: Yeah. Um. That's so that was intercepted. Hindley. So he's yeah. still still not allowed to die. Um. So on <laughs> Hindley's side during all this, Hindley made several appeals against her life sentence, stating that she had been re- reformed and she was no longer a danger to society. And okay, great. Yeah, but she was never to be released anyway because she's got a life sentence. Um, at the beginning of their incarceration, she did keep in touch with Brady, at first by letter, um, for multiple years, but ended their relationship in 1971. On her side, is also weird, but I'd love to learn more about this because it's just fucking crazy. She maintained a few relationships <laughs> with female prisons and even female guards. At oh, one female point. Prisoners? yeah Yeah. but at one point convinced a female guard named patricia karens to help her escape this prison guard their plot was caught (laughs) and like foiled and the guard female guard was sentenced to six years in prison and now she can be with her lover (laughs) Um what the heck in Charmer. At one point Hindley wrote a thirty thousand word plea for a parole, written between nineteen seventy-eight and nineteen seventy-nine, where Hindley stated, quote, Within months, Brady had convinced me that there was no God at all. He could have told me that the earth was flat, the moon was made of green cheese, and that the sun rose in the west. I would have believed him. Such was his power of persuasion. He was cute, and he told me the
0: world was flat, and not to get vaccinated. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like
1: what the hell? You're crazy. Um. <sighs> the only saving grace I will have to give Hindley and Brady, to a certain point, is they made multiple attempts to actually locate the final bodies, um, in the moor, and okay. in including in 1986 when Keith Bennett's mother who, at this point, they didn't, like, barely even had, like, tied them to. Brady had pretty much just confessed, but they didn't have actually any evidence of this. Um, but Keith Bennett's mother, in hearing that Brady had confessed, he wrote to Hindley and asked for her help and for her to please reveal where her son's body was. Hin- uh, guards at the prison said that Hindley reportedly was genuinely moved by this and agreed to help. Um, you wow. can... so she reviewed pictures of the couple, pictures of the moor, maps of the moor, and, but said that she would have to visit in person to be able to be sure. So on December 16th, 1986, Hindley made the first of two trips to the moor in search of the body of Bennett. But, after... because 20 years had passed, even though it's a pretty much barren landscape other than, like, grass and stuff, she just wasn't, like, connecting with where stuff was, because it had been 20 years. Um, sure, sure, sure. So looking at this, she did end up making a map for them about where his body was, um, to the best of her knowledge. So after her visit, Smith and Brady also made separate trips to the Moor in the search of Bennett's body. Both of them were also unsuccessful. Hindley formally confessed to being involved in all five murders on February tenth, nineteen eighty-seven, and in a seventeen-hour-long taped confession, which some, pol- or, yeah, during that, um, some police believed that it was an act more than a real confession. However, this is where she provided the details on how each of the victims were lured, and that was previously unknown. So they did applaud that. Um. Jeez, yeah. That's where all of the details come from, on all of yeah. the murders of what happened, is it her confession that she did. Um, so they Well, use, she looks happy as a pig in mud
0: in her prison photo. Right? She's that, just like, that picture looks is, like a teenager in her bedroom or something, right? like posters
1: on the wall, smiling. That picture <laughs> is actually right after she, is the day that a reporter visited her and they started arranging her to visit the more after Keith Bennett's mom had written her. God. So, once presented with some of the details that Hindley had provided in her confession, um, including details about Reed's abduction, Brady decided that he, too, was now prepared to confess, but on one condition, his only condition, that immediately afterwards in his confession, he would be given the means to commit suicide. He's been asking this for decades. Um, of course, the request <sighs> was impossible for authorities to grant, so that kind of really did nothing, but on March of 1987, Bennett's mother sent Hindley a second letter. Hindley once again helped police search the moor, and during this search, she did confirm that Bennett was in the areas police suspected, um, in the Shiny Brook area, um, so that's kind of this ravine, so that's picture 28. That's the picture that Hindley confirmed is their quote-unquote grave marker code on exactly where keith's body is
0: so they found it
1: no ah right <laughs> yeah so they confirmed that's where his body was in this pete gully um but she remembered no details that actually helped in her little map that she drew and at this point they hadn't found reed's body uh, pauline reed so during this search for keith's body they also kind of we're like okay, take us to where like Pauline Reed kind of is. She recalled that Pauline Reed, while she, while her body was being buried, she remembers sitting beside the body, and looking out at the sunset, and that she could see something called the Holland Brown Knoll Rocks, and they were silhouetted against the night sky, like the sunset. So based on this and where the sunsets and where that would be and where she'd have to be sitting to see that. They concentrated their search for Pauline Reed and found her body on July 1st after over a hundred days searching. Um, soon after his first visit to the Moor, Brady had written a letter to the a BBC reporter giving some sketchy details, he claims, of five additional deaths that he says he was involved in, including a man in the Piccadilly area of Manchester, Another victim on Saddleworth Moor, two more in Scotland, and a woman whose body was allegedly dumped into a canal. Police failed to match any of these confessions to any missing persons or crimes, so they were not investigated due to insufficient evidence, and when Hindley was approached by police with these claims, she said that she knew nothing of these killings. Um, So take that, I guess, for a grain of salt. Um, what the hell almost done (laughs) okay (laughs) during the like i said this one's long during the Uh. 1990s hindley claimed that she took part in the killings only because brady had drugged her and blackmailed her with pornographic pictures that he had taken of her and had threatened to kill her sister maureen in 2008 hindley's solicitor a man named andrew mccuey mccuey it's funny name. okay andrew mccuey reported that she had told him before her death quote i ought to have been hanged i deserved it my crime was worse than brady's because i enticed the children and they would not have entered the car without my role i have always regarded myself as worse than brady end quote oh um, so she
0: thinks she's worse than him
1: yeah there
0: you go. and
1: although they both have confessed to the two other killings of pauline reed and keith bennett they have not been charged um because with the law what it was they they're already in for life sentences they couldn't be like punished more with other life sentences because they're still going to be they don't have the death
0: penalty there
1: no um Mm. so they just decided not to waste pretty much like taxpayer dollars i guess doing all these trials and rehashing all this stuff for them to just stay in prison anyway because it's not going to change anything
0: I don't know how the families yeah. feel
1: about that, but um, it does seem
0: to be fairly common.
1: Yeah. So David Smith and Hindley's sister Maureen do did receive like hate mail and death threats for pretty much the rest of their lives. Um, they had to often pull their children out of school and move, um, because they also feared from their for their children's lives. There's a whole lot of information about David Smith he ends up being pretty fucked up he's in and out of prison including a time for stabbing a man during a fight um so he's kind of all over the place he had a lot of stuff that i omitted yeah i'm pretty sure seeing somebody get murdered in front of you when you're 17 again he was 17 um would fuck you up he was 17 and married? Oh, yeah. sorry.
0: That's not the part to focus on.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, they were trying to pin <laughs> it on him and he was just a little 17 year old. Yeah. Jesus. Um, Maureen and her immediate family, though, did keep in touch continuously with Hindley all throughout her prison sentence and they would make regular visits to see her. So they didn't like cut her out or drop her. Like they all still loved okay. her and visited her constantly. Wow. Um, for their deaths, Brady died in Ashworth Hospital. Woo! Round of applause. Yay! On May 15th, 2017, at the age of 79, from restrictive pulmonary disease. He was pre- cremated and his ashes were disposed of at sea during the night, so not to draw any public attention. Okay. Um, yeah. Hindley died on November 25th, 2002. Um, She was 60 at the time, she died of bronchial pneumonia, um, and it said that she was like a chain smoker, so they weren't surprised. It said that she smoked like 40 cigarettes a day. Oh, wow. Um, She, three years before this, in 1999, she had actually suffered a brain aneurysm, which apparently Brady made Brady mad, because he was like in prison he's like well she has a brain aneurysm she's pretty much a vegetable and I'm still stuck in prison at least she's close to death or something oh my god yeah but she did die like 15 years before he did but before Hindley's death she revealed that the pictures that pictures were taken of her and Brady at the moor at each of the kids graves and that they were used as a secret code that Brady had invented and that the all of the pictures of the couple hold keys to finding the remaining body that hasn't been found, which is Keith Bennett. So that's why I wanted to include all these pictures, because they are a secret code that the couple had invented and are clues. Especially the one picture of her looking out in front of this, like, kind of little creaky waterfall thing. Um, Aw, poor Keith. yeah. After Hindley died, her ashes were scattered and, weirdly enough, picked up by former girlfriend and guard Patricia Carence, who had been sent to prison for their affair and their plot to break Hindley out of prison. So she picked up Mm -hmm. her remains. She still cared about her. Right? And she scattered. Someone did. It's creepy, but she scattered Hindley's ashes um, 16 kilometers away from the Saddleworth Moor in a public park. Like, at a playground. It's creepy. Maybe they should have
0: that law where you're not allowed to do that unless it's on private frickin' property. Like, in Germany.
1: (laughs) Um, So, my last little bit, none of the documentaries mention this, but in trying to find a YouTube video or, like, more interviews when I was looking up these documentaries, I ran across a gentleman named Tommy Rattigan, I think is how you pronounce his name. This man, he has a really short like 6-minute th- interview. He's also written a book. And he is a man who says that he was lured into the couple's home one week before their second victim, John Kilbride was killed. He says um that he was left alone in the living room. He got like a weird feeling. He was there apparently to eat like jelly sandwiches, I don't know. The couple had gone oh into way. the kitchen. And he heard them start arguing and, like, saying weird stuff in hushed voices and he'd only get, like, every other word and it made him feel weird. So, while he was left alone, he managed, I guess, sitting, like, on their couch or something, there was a window right beside him. And they lived on, like, a first floor house. So, he's, like, right at the window. So, he managed, while they were in the kitchen, to quickly pop the window open and get out. He says that while he was crawling out of the window, Hindley actually grabbed his ankle and attempted to drag him back into the house, but he kind of fought back and he managed to get free. Jesus. Um, at the time, uh, he was only seven years old and he is really upset to this day that, and regrets deeply having not spoken up about what happened. He was seven? Yeah, he was Seven. Um, oh my god he deeply regrets having not spoken up about the incident again because it was after only one victim and he believes if he had spoken up about what he had happened to him in their home that the lives of the four other children wouldn't have been taken and he that he singly like could have saved all of their lives if he he had like told his story about them trying to drag him back into the house
0: he shouldn't beat himself up they had more to blame than he did
1: yeah again that's literally like a little one-off kind of thing he has like a little interview on like a little talk show on youtube and then he wrote a book um his name is tawny radigan um he's not mentioned in any of the documentaries or on the wikipedia or anything like that i just kind of like happened to run across him so i don't know if it's confirmed or not he could be just somebody trying to get money or it could be real who knows On the website, the Keith Bennett, his mom, has since passed away. His family is still trying to find his body. Um, The police no longer are willing to search for it because they've been doing it for over 50 years. Now it's in the hands of, like, the family, really, to find him, but they're also kind of barred because they're not allowed to just randomly dig in the moor. Um, for crying out loud so yeah i do have pictures on the website and if you click on that one it will take you to that facebook page where you can get more information um for keith bennett and what the families posted and then there's a couple there's a picture of ian brady and myra hindley when they got older and they just don't look nearly as cute i'll just say that i don't find them cute <laughs> But i that's just, just like me. the uh. i like their their clothes Maybe it's the sunglasses. Yeah. Yeah, And just old-timey like, suits and stuff. I don't know. They were well-dressed. I'll give them that. (laughs) Yeah, that's my case. That's the more murders.
0: I don't have to give them anything. Fuck
1: those guys. Right? Yeah, fuck them. I have to go watch
0: something happy now. Okay?
1: (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Right? (laughs)
0: We'll take a short break, and you might even hear a little trailer. Maybe, maybe another cool pod to check out. You never know. During that break, we'll be that right be pretty back. cool.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children go to bed. Have you ever wondered
0: that who would win in a fight between a Mustang and a dinosaur?
1: Have the black-eyed peas been knocking at your door? Is the flying space rave keeping you up at night? And why does everything have red eyes? And who the hell is Tommy Wiseau? All this and more on the Salty Speculation Podcast. And I'm Nick. I'm the one that does all the work. I'm Jay. As a Scotsman, I cover the cultural diversity aspect of the show. New episodes every week. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the Salty Speculation Podcast. Hi. Hello. That was... Crazy. Yeah, it was a long one. I'm ready for a palate cleanser. You ready to hear me talk for a while? Yes, thank you.
0: i sit here and be. No one nice. said it's going to be Quiet. anything better. It's still crime. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but speaking of which, um, our last crime episode that was a little lighter, the petty crimes. Yeah. Uh, I got some feedback just today because it just posted. Yesterday, as we're recording this, um, yeah, tell me. Oh, my brother really liked the penguin case. He really enjoyed Dirk.
1: (laughs) I was like, poor Dirk, you know, gets kidnapped by some drunk idiots, then chased by a freaking shark, and then chased by a dog back into the grips of the shark. Poor Dirk.
0: And we, like, yeah, I told you. As our family, we watched The Simpsons, and they had the one where they stole the pig, and it was really—it's a really funny one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's I good. Think I got one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a good episode. Yeah, we we've had some lighter ones. Like I feel like Sleep Paralysis wasn't super light, but yeah, Petty Cross no, for, was light. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the paranormal ones are usually a little bit.
1: Yeah. Better. <laughs> So if we ha- I had to just bring it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I ruined your day, anybody listening. I'm sorry. I was excited. That's why they listened to the true crime. Yeah, I was excited to share it with you. It was really good.
0: It was just a lot.
1: Yeah, it was a lot. This,
0: that one was a bit dodgy.
1: Yeah, that's why I'm like, I want to name the episode this. It's a bit dodgy because I'm like, yeah, mine's a bit dodgy. I was like, I think when I, I think I had told you, like, maybe it was almost a week ago or something when I was just starting this. I think I had told you that time, like, oh, yeah, mine's going to be long. I'm at how many pages Uh or something. I don't think I had said it recently. And then um, I think I had told you it's not me doing the Gardner museum heist long, though, because that was that was 14 (laughs) pages and this was nine.
0: Well, I feel like we're... Yeah, we're definitely going to have... It's definitely a two-hour episode plus. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if it gets to three. Maybe. Mine will probably be an hour. I don't know. Um, It also looked kind of small, and then... It did have a lot that you could fall into a rabbit hole on if you really wanted to. I love a good name. So what drew me in was that it was sometimes referred to as the Pitchfork Murder. Uh... And if if you want Pitch. to be specific, because there's, well, there's a few of those. It's in England. Pitchfork murder of England. Um, of, it has to do with a man named Charles Walton. Not to be confused with if you're googling pitchfork murder and you're not more specific, there was a killer with the last name of Pitchfork, who we may have to cover. Cause oh, okay. also kind of cool. <laughs> Uh, Lower Quinton is a quiet village in Warwickshire, England. Not Worcestershire.
1: I... Worcestershire, not, Warwickshire.
0: not that one. <laughs> but I would like to think it it would have been somewhere where someone like Warwick Davis lives. You know the actor?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe yes, I know you do. He's Professor Flitwick. <laughs> in what? Who's that? Harry Potter. Okay, I was like, maybe I'd know the face, not the name. <laughs> He's split, but you know
0: how. Well, anyway. He's also in Willow, which is my
1: mom's. Willow, my yeah. mom's favorite movie. Oh, okay. Anywho. Jesus. I'm letting yeah. you down on me being such a movie buff, I just bragged about.
0: <laughs> you don't remember Professor
1: Flitwick? He usually
0: has to stand on a
1: chair. I remember sure. him, I just I, and I can picture his face with like weird beard and like Harry Potter makeup, but I assume that's not, <laughs> not what he normally looks
0: like. No, it's not. Yeah. No, no, so. that's true. Um actually what we oh, I'm surprised actually one of the times you were over we didn't make you watch um make you force you st- strap you down and put on uh Idiot Abroad. It's got oh, Richard yeah. base.
1: We watched it. And
0: Stephen Merchant. Yeah, and the the guy with the big round bald head Carl Pilkington yeah. their friend I love they make him idiot go abroad travel around yeah and he's always like complaining cuz they're always like go do this go sit on a camel and he's like no but like they have an episode where he like takes Warwick and they go visit this I don't know it's really weird because it's like they end up going and visiting a whole village of little people or whatever okay anyway it's it's different it's a different <laughs> Anyway, he's
1: great. He's and Navy great and Abroad is I great. I love that show. Oh, up.
0: yes, yes. Time to plug our favorite show. Recommend. <laughs> okay, so Lower Quinton, which kind of sounds funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's home to only a few hundred residents. It only has a, a church, a pub, some, you know, thatched roof houses, and just a few farms. It's just a tiny little place. Yeah, Um, Charles Walton was born and raised in Lower Quinton. He had an affinity for dealing with animals, especially dogs, birds, and horses. As a young man, he would appear to give horses commands by using simple gestures, earning him the nickname of Horse Whisperer.
1: okay. Of course it is.
0: Well, it does nowadays. I don't know if they called it exactly that back then, but they were like, yeah, he is good at this. A source who knew him said, Walton had been seen on many occasions imitating the songs of the nightingale and chirping to other species of bird. He openly professed to be conversant in the Aeolian language, the bird language, I guess, of his feathered friends, for they seemed to obey his request to refrain from eating the seeds sown in the fields of his little plot.
1: (laughs) Oh, He's like Snow White over here, just singing to birds, being like, don't steal my seeds, take my neighbor's (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Do what I want. Eat out of my hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this perhaps could have been what supposedly led to others in the village saying they were wary of certain powers that he possessed. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. It's. It's interesting. Might we might get a little lot uh into the paranormal side even on gu- this true crime.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> He's got some animal communication
0: going on and like there's differing opinions of course but just listen okay (laughs) he was quite solitary and a bit strange but um yeah also some articles do heavily slant the case towards the paranormal so they play this part up so definitely take it it with a grain of salt as well (laughs) Okay, but I read like multiple articles and listened to you know a couple different podcasts to get an idea of what might be you know, true and all of them are just bias or whatever. So I'm going to give you kind of all the, maybe not all the facts, but all the theories and all the information, and we can decide with it what we will, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> cool. um, but to be fair, this area was highly superstitious, especially at that time anyway. So let's dive into it. There is a book written about the area that will you'll want to remember as well for later on, called Folklore, Old Customs, and Superstitions in Shakespeare Land. Ooh, Shakespeare Land. Okay. So this was authored by a local clergyman named J. Harvey Bloom in 1929. Harvey Bloom had had some sort of supernatural encounter himself, and then he published this book with a bunch of lore. Unfortunately, I couldn't find out what the heck that supernatural he... What happened to him. <laughs> oh, okay. But he wrote a passage. This is a quote. A plow lad named Charles Walton met a black dog on his way home nine times in successive evenings. On the ninth encounter, a headless lady rustled past him in a silk dress. And on the next day, he heard of his sister's death.
1: Yeah. Oh, I just got a shiver down my spine. Oh. <laughs>
0: oh. Any time I Anytime a line
1: of dogs about the paranormal, I look behind myself. <laughs> nice. And it's... It's now 5pm, If the sun is shining. <laughs> I just looked to see yeah. if there was anybody behind me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, locked room, yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was kind of weird, right? It's like, okay. Creepy. So, although that story was about a person named Charles Walton, same as our protagonist, there seems to be no evidence supporting that it was our Char- Charles Walton.
1: Oh, okay. So,
0: uh, yeah, the dates don't match up. <sighs> Like, the only thing was he did have a sister that did die, but that was the real, only real commonality. In fact, he and his wife adopted his three-year-old niece after his sister passed away. So they were likely adults when that did happen. <laughs> Not oh, Yeah, just okay. different than the story.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, his wife died in 1927, and he lived with his niece, or lives with his... <laughs> I'm sorry. English is hard. Um, That's what
1: I had. I had the most. The hardest time (laughs) reading words this episode than I ever have. (laughs) It's like, I couldn't read. Excuse excuse me. I'm like, wait, is that right? It's not
0: really right because I wrote it in the present tense. And like, anyway. He lived with his niece still. Her name is Edith, or Edie for short. (laughs) He worked on local farms for his income, even up until his 70s. Wow yeah farm
1: work in your 70s is intense he
0: was farm strong um so he was
1: quiet kept to himself
0: was described as hard-working honest mild-mannered and on Fe- february 14th 1945 74 year old charles was found dead his body clearly beaten and battered near Meon hill where he had been working in the field there tending to hedges with a trouncing hook and a pitchfork
1: Murdered on Valentine's Day. And it's
0: always, it's terrible when they're so old, too. It's like when they're really young, but it's like the opposite. You couldn't have let them just die on their own. Like, what the heck?
1: Yeah, right? Just like, oh my god. I, there was something in, something, somewhere, it was probably like 10 years ago, (laughs) I heard about, they were talking about, oh yeah, like, what's this? stupidest object that somebody's ever been killed with and one of the responses was that there was a news story about an older gentleman that had been beaten to death with a rolled up newspaper oh no so if you're like there was enough you can be killed with a rolled up newspaper like a fly which um... is horrible for some reason
0: my mind went to like that dead like me show and she was killed at, at like in the beginning because it's about being dead and like yeah their version of the afterlife, whatever, by a toilet seat that fell from the sky from like an airplane.
1: Oh my god! Yeah, all those <laughs> things about the blue eyes. Yeah. Oh. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so a trouncing hook or a slash hook looks like a curved sort of machete. Um, oh, okay. Big kind of hook at the end, and it's like skinnier than a machete. But it's it's he was using it for his hedge trimming. Yeah, I was um,
1: picturing, what is it, the one that they use, they used to use for corn.
0: Oh, like a scythe?
1: Yeah. Like that I was like picturing death that. has? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so kind of similar. More
0: handheld, yeah, yeah okay. like one-handed. Yeah, shorter. Um, so you use a quote from one article, which was uh, from Cult Nation. That was obviously the more paranormal slanted one, if that wasn't obvious from the, <laughs> yeah. the website's name. But their description was pretty good. Uh, Well, yeah, pretty thorough. (laughs) Pretty good, whatever. Walton's throat had been cut three times with his slash hook, a sickle-like tool that he used for hedging. The wounds were so deep that they nearly severed his head. Similar to your case, I found. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Not in a good way. No. No. (laughs) He also had been brutally beaten, leaving his skull split, three ribs broken, and heavy bruising on his body. And as a gruesome final act, his pitchfork had been skewered through the lower part of his face.
1: Ew. Through the lower part of his face? Oh. Very
0: horror movie-esque.
1: Yeah. Just awful.
0: Brutal. Brutal. Yeah. This was done... With such force that it left his corpse firmly pinned to the ground in what appeared to be a deliberate position with the head forced back, almost as if to drain the body of blood. Some accounts further claim that a crude cross-shaped symbol had been carved into his chest. End quote.
1: Wow. I can see why this would go, like, paranormal then. Somebody's, like, carving crosses in dead.
0: Well... Yeah. <laughs>
1: Police were quite
0: at a loss when it came to any sort of leads. He had no known enemies. He literally never even really went anywhere other than to go work on farms. Yeah. I don't imagine there were any scorned ladies or dates he didn't call back. I don't know. Like He's he in was... his 70s. <laughs> and he kept to himself everything said. Yeah. So, lives with his niece. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> Um, So they called in backup, Detective Chief Inspector Robert Fabian, or Fabian, I'm not sure, and his partner Albert Webb were called in from Scotland Yard. Sorry, I said called in twice. (laughs) I wrote that, obviously. (laughs) They interviewed 500 people. Most were no help. Oh, yeah. Probably everyone in the village.
1: (laughs) More than that. Yeah. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Uh, most were no help, only mentioning the occasional sick cow or other random piece of information with no context as to why that would be significant. <laughs> In fact, people didn't even seem that scared at all. They just seemed to want it to be over with so they could get back to their lives. Uh, That's one That's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. One person said sort of like, it's been like a month and he's buried and like, it's over. Let it be.
1: Oh my god, how would you feel if you had a pitch through, pitchfork through, like, a family member's face, and they're like, yeah, that was last month. Right.
0: Yeah, I still got family alive, exactly. Ugh. So frustrated with their lack of progress in the case, the detective chief inspector Robert Fabian was given a book to acquaint himself with the local lore to help him understand the people there better as well. And it was called Folklore, Old Customs, and Superstitions in Shakespeare Land by J. Harvey Bloom. It says Harvell. I think it type bone on me. <laughs> I was like, Harvell? I don't remember that being his name. So this book, if you recall, talked about stories and superstitions from the area. It told of witchcraft and things, and so Fabian began to wonder if this had a factor in the killing. Or if this had been a factor, especially given the brutal and almost ritualistic nature of the killing.
1: Oh, okay. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, like it... yeah. He's gotta investigate all angles. Some say his neighbors found him very suspicious indeed. Some believed he had the evil eye and could possibly curse them. Uh, I'm not too sure about that part.
1: <laughs> oh, that the the guy did?
0: Yeah, the victim Charles. Okay. I mean, it was Incredible. said it was a superstitious place, and that he had an affinity for animals. And then, other quote-unquote evidence to possibly support that was found at his home, where his back garden was overrun with natterjack toads.
1: Dun, oh my dun, dun, god! Dun. Toads. <laughs> oh
0: <laughs> well. Apparently, these toads featured quite prominently in British witchcraft. Uh, I got another excerpt from the (laughs) cult nation. (laughs) Among a a witch's spell-casting arsenal was the practice of blasting, the power to interfere with or destroy the fertility of man, beast, and crop, which in some cases saw the use of natterjack toads.
1: What? Uh...
0: So he's like... (sighs) cursing farmland what right okay. that's what they say <laughs> so when the infamous scottish witch isabel gowdy went on trial in 1662 she confessed to among other crimes fastening two s- er, small plows to her toads and setting them loose in the local fields leaving the sto- soil sterile and unable to
1: produce crops <laughs> oh my god a plow fastened to toads <laughs> i love that <laughs> That's the greatest image. (laughs) Just like a dog sled of toads and a plow.
0: I know I'm like picturing like, what? You didn't have any little popsicle sticks. What did you (laughs) use? Anyway. So, well, the year leading up to Charles Walton's murder, the crops had fared poorly, they told detectives. So there's your evidence.
1: (laughs) He cursed it because it probably, what? You probably didn't rotate your crops properly or it may not have rained enough. Right? (laughs) Must be a witch cursing the land. It's a witch, it's a witch! (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, and even more
0: uh, atrocious the beer brewed from the wheat had been bitter and undrinkable.
1: (gasps) Dun dun dun.
0: That is what kills me.
1: (laughs) He has to be a witch then. Totally changed (laughs) my opinion of him. (laughs) Not the beer. But not why is all the rum gone? <laughs> Anything but the bear. Take our crops, but not the bear.
0: <laughs> One of Walton's former employers, a farmer from nearby Long Compton, may have actually witnessed this blasting ritual firsthand. Old Charlie, he claimed, used to catch a toad and tie a toy plow to its legs and have it run along towing the thing across a field. <laughs> across a field. I mean... I if he said he saw old Charlie doing it. But, oh <laughs> Who are we god.
1: to All judge. I can picture is the fact that like toads jump. <laughs> so it would just be like jump and stop and jump and stop. Like how would the plow stay in the ground? If it's jumping oh, I know, and I ho-
0: Hawk. Yeah. Hawk. Hopefully they're not tying their like legs together. I don't know. Oh <sighs> my god. <It's> <sighs> <laughs> oh. No toads were harmed in the filming of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, even more interesting, in my opinion, Detective Fabian described there being stone circles just outside the village. Stone circles! Your it's for all my marks, yes. <laughs> you know, where witches are known to host Sabbaths, quote-unquote, as he, as he later wrote in his book, this detective later wrote a book. <laughs> oh, okay. About, anyway, after he retired, I believe. But Meon Hill, where Charles was found, was a circular mound located at the end of Cotswolds. Cotswold Ridge.
1: <laughs> I know, all this UK, there's so many hard words.
0: <laughs> well, I've heard of the Cotswolds, so anyway, yeah. I wanted to put an S on it. I don't know. There are ancient burial mounds and iron and Roman age debris from encampments in the area as well. So, like, shit be ancient around there. <laughs>
1: Yeah. That all of Europe is
0: just ancient. It's so old. Which totally yeah, it's like so steeped in lore. So, more background on Charles. He walked with two walking sticks, uh, by the time he was seventy four from his rheumatism. Oh. He had been working for the last nine months at a local farm owned by Albert Potter, known as the Furs. F I R S. I don't know. Okay. Fir trees, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and run by a potter. Anyway, <laughs> he left in the morning to trim the headed hedges, passing by the churchyard where he was seen by a couple of people. And at 6 p.m., his niece Edie uh, returned home to find him not there, and she did get worried. So she went to her neighbor, Harry Beasley, and they went to Albert Potter's farm to look for him. She, Albert, and Harry found Charles' mangled body. They oh. called the police and... I know. It's woof. It's just rough. <laughs> and Albert stood guard by Charles's body until they got there. He told the police he had empo- the, employed Charles for nine months and had known him for five years. That day, Albert had been in the college arms and left at noon. He had seen Charles working about four yards away from where his body was later found, Which was roughly about, he estimated, 30 minutes of amount of work away. (laughs) So, if that makes any sense, he probably saw him not long before he died. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, he had been dead for like a couple hours probably then?
0: When they found him, yeah. And it seemed like his employer saw him just about... 30 minutes he figured before he died, from where, like, where he was working along the hedges as he made his way along the hedges. Wow. I don't know. But the only thing missing from the body was his pocket watch. Strangely, his pants buttons were undone, but his pants were still on, kind of thing. Okay. That was, that was weird. And he had defensive wounds, such as a cut on his left hand and bruising on his arms. Another thing that was mentioned was there was a camp named Long Marston about two kilometers away from Lower Quinton that had housed prisoners during the war. So now in 1945, the Second World having just ended, so the prisoners were there and they were um, starting to integrate back into nearby villages. So it was kind of more of like a halfway house kind of thing at this point where they're like, it didn't have a lot of security. So people were like, well, these prisoners of war did it. Uh, okay. yeah especially because they were like foreigners right so they're mostly italians and germans <laughs> you know from the opposite side so it's like uh. of course like, they wanted to blame them
1: even if they're gonna like rob you or something why would you rob the farmhand pig?
0: and just take a pocket watch if anything because yeah. that's the only thing they yeah
1: like so, I assume they searched the house and like nothing was missing in the house or something.
0: Yeah, and he wasn't even near his house because he was working on hedges at his employer's farm.
1: Yeah. No, I mean at the employer's house. I assume. Like, right, 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 in right. The employer's house.
0: Yeah, exactly. It had nothing to do with that cuz he wasn't like near the house at all. Yeah. Wow. Um but there was no real motive for any of those prisoners to have done this, so that theory would eventually kind of die out also, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, making bad puns. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Detective Fabian received threatening letters during the investigation. Some villagers were very hostile. You know, like I said, kind of being like, why isn't this over yet? Blah, blah, blah.
1: It's been a month and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sadly.
0: Yeah. His niece, Edie, was relying partly on Charles's pension as well as her own income at the time of his death. And Charles only had like about 11 pounds in savings when he died. But he had left his purse at home that day or whatever, so he didn't even bring it to work. So that, again, was not like a motive, I don't think. He had received an inheritance when his wife died, but he had withdrawn, you know, 10 pounds here and there, so the original 300 pounds was down to that 11 pounds and however many shillings. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Albert spoke to police and recalled how Charles would make his own hours and work approximately four days a week also implying that Charles told Albert how many hours he put in and Albert uh, didn't think that he was always truthful.
1: I don't know. Well, he's in his 70s and he's helping you. Fuck off. (laughs) Yeah, I found that weird because they had also
0: said he was hardworking, so I wasn't sure. I don't know.
1: If you have suspicions, then take the fucking day off, but don't tell him and like, (laughs) <laughs> Just watch from somewhere nearby. <laughs> like, Sting
0: operation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. <clears throat> but yeah, it's kind of weird also because hey Albert, the employer, got angry when asked about any fingerprints on the weapons or anything in the area by police. And he said, Well, I touched them when we found the body like saying that he touched the weapons.
1: Okay, well, Maybe there's other fingerprints besides yours and Albert's?
0: But Beasley, the other guy, denies this and said he never saw Albert touch the weapons by Charles's body. So. Weird. Why would he be like, yeah, my fingerprints will be on there.
1: <laughs> Wait, let me so... go touch it. Now they
0: definitely are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's a little sus, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> also... Uh, there was a sort of similar story about a woman named Anne Tennant in nearby Long Crompton, who was murdered in 1875 with a pitchfork. And the killer claimed... <laughs> <laughs> I know!
1: 1875.
0: Well, yes. And this is now 1945, like, so... I was gonna um,
1: say, nearby, I was thinking like, oh, six months before. And you're like, 1875. Yeah, 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 And I was like, what?
0: Wait, What? <laughs> That's why I was a, kind of in agreement when the one, uh, it was a British guy doing a podcast and he was like, I think it's been, a, I'm going to do, I wanted to do this case because it seems like it's been a bit hyped in the media because like, yeah, some, it must articles be and a serial
1: killer who's <laughs> 90 plus years old.
0: Let's just point this out and then like, see if you can draw a connection. <laughs> oh
1: my gosh. Okay.
0: Uh. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, so she, okay, killed with a pitchfork, killer claimed later he did it because she was a witch, (laughs) she was, (laughs) yeah, of course, she was like 85, she was also a senior, (sighs) yeah, but it was in front of witnesses, she was, uh, sadly stabbed and not pinned, not the same, and no slash hook or anything like that, um, so the cross carved in the chest was also rumored around her case, so it was likely to be an embellishment in both cases. I don't know if I said this earlier, but they hadn't found it in any nobody has seen it in any of the actual police reports or anything.
1: Okay. So the cross yeah. thing <clears throat> might not actually exist.
0: Yeah, it's probably just like a rumor, just like a yeah. an embellishment. <laughs> And in 1960, when they were going to tear down the house, his pocket watch was found in the outhouse. But police had searched his entire house upon the murder, so they knew it wasn't there at that time. Not until they were clearing out the house 15 years later.
1: I have a theory. Okay. <laughs> he went to the bathroom. His pocket watch <laughs> fell out like plenty of people's phones have fallen into toilets. His pocket watch fell I out. I know. And then, Where in the outhouse? <laughs> how many times have you gone in the bathroom, pulled your pants up, and then forgot to do them up?
0: <laughs> right? Oh, and then he walked to work that way?
1: <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I guess. Some dudes are I like just half the day through, and then they're like, your floors went done," And they're like, oh shit.
0: <laughs> right. Especially if he's wearing him. like
1: overalls yeah. or something,
0: and then and then his boss killed him after. that he was like, "You worked five hours, and you told me you worked
1: six. <laughs> you told me five and a half, and it was five point two five. I am gonna stab you through or, the face with this pitchfork."
0: Yeah, oh yeah, I had that in the next sentence. That it was, it's not mentioned anywhere. Police reports. Um, so yeah, was Albert thinking he was cursing the hedges or something more supernatural? It
1: just seems so weird.
0: It's 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 mysterious. And side note, it's eight miles from Stratford upon Avon, so that's why it's called Shakespeare Land in the book title, probably because that's Shakespeare's birthplace. Is it? Okay, and, I'll take yes. your word for it. <laughs> and another fun factoid is the local pub is called the gay dog the Gay Dog. <laughs> i thought
1: that was funny I... so more oh sorry <laughs> no it just reminds me of wine and crime whenever they do like england they're just like and it's northeast of this and southwest of this and on the road geography <laughs> yeah and because yes. they just like reading all the
0: funny names <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. They do sound funny to us, but then we have a lot of the same ones in Canada. <laughs> yeah, that's true. we just borrowed it. Borrowed them. Um, more lore about Meon Hill, where he was basically found. The Celts believed the hill was the resting place of. Uh, okay, I didn't look it up. Aron, A R A W N, Aron. I'm not sure. Okay. Lord of the Underworld, though. Ooh. That's fun.
1: <laughs> Isn't that the that... 80s?
0: In yeah, that's what Greek? Oh. Roman. Yeah, there's so many different lores. This is Celtic lore, it says. Okay. Um, right. Uh so accompanied by a pack of spectral hounds, Aron would embark on nightly hunts to gather the souls of the departed. Ooh. <laughs> Night travel could be a dangerous venture in Old Britain as a hapless encounter with Iran's nocturnal hunting party was considered a death omen.
1: Oh. Our favorite. I was just going to say, it sounds like a death omen. Yes!
0: Oh, there's a few. So, <laughs> they love their death omens there, I guess. <laughs> in later times, the devil would take up re- residence at Meon Hill, using it as his, his earthly base to launch attacks against the newly established Christian population. Enraged by the construction of nearby Evesham Abbey in the 8th century, local legend described how the devil kicked a massive boulder down the hill in an attempt to destroy it. However, as the story goes, the village faithful managed to divert its course through the power of prayer. Okay. All right, then. (laughs) the boulder missed the (laughs) abbey and came to rest on Cleve Hill near Cheltenham or Cheltenham where the villagers carved it into a giant stone cross to ward off further attacks oh my gosh (sighs) there's a lot of lore yeah (laughs) which we don't usually get to do for true crime yeah they (laughs)
1: sound very superstitious in this town like too much it's just too much
0: it's like the whole area, yeah. Well, and, and especially when you're gonna have megaliths like stone circles and stuff, which is, yeah. My next point here: the stones mentioned, the quote-unquote nearby stone circle or megalith or whatever are the Rollright Stones, but they're actually about 15 miles, 24 kilometers from Lower Quinton, so like That's sort quite of far. Yeah. <laughs> close enough for ghosts i don't know (laughs) unless they have cars
1: probably not yeah ghost
0: cars but like there's lore about the stones as well of course Mm -hmm. um (laughs) apparently it's called quote the king's men a circle of seventy seven large stones that was built for ceremonial purposes. The King's Stone, a single monolith that stands to the north of the king's men, and the whispering knights, which lie to the east, are five upright stones that lay inwards towards each other as if they were whispering behind the king's back. Ew creepy <laughs> I know. I just love me some lore, though. According to legend, the Rollwright stones are the cursed remains of a Viking king and his army. While marching through the Cotswolds, the king, intent on conquering all of England, had run afoul of a local witch named Mother Shipton. The angered witch, who in some versions of the story is portrayed as a representation of sovereignty, the goddess protector of the land transformed the invading army into stones and herself into a nearby elder tree that eternally guards over them. The curse is briefly lifted on certain nights of the year when at the stroke of midnight the stones come to life. Some of the king's men leave their place on the hill to drink at a nearby spring while others join hands and dance. In some versions the fairy folk who dwell in the caves underneath the stone circle come out to join in the late night festivities
1: So I assume then they just go back to where they were before, and then they are refrozen as stones. Right. They only get to party. Like like night, night night at the museum.
0: (laughs) Or like in Pirates the Caribbean, how he's allowed to come to land like once every like ten years or
1: whatever. (laughs) The Black (laughs) Pearl.
0: The Black Pearl. Uh, the Rollwright stones are believed to be charged with supernatural energy and a special significance is placed on the king's stone. Regarded as a potent phallic symbol imbued with the power of fertility, tradition, tradition has it that if a local woman is unable to conceive after marriage, she visits the site on a full moon night and rubs her naked breasts against the king's stone, oh always God. resulting in a healthy baby nine months later. Wow. No comment. Maybe Maybe that's what Claire was trying to do when she touched the stone circle and went back to this in Outlander back through time.
1: She was was trying to rub her
0: boobs. She only pretended she was searching for flowers. That
1: just, no, that just sounds like some creepy man was like... I'm just going to make this the legend and then I'm just going to hide out every full moon at the stone and just wait for these <laughs> topless women to just come rob themselves. Yes. Against. Yeah, just it was yeah. <laughs> Especially because it's
0: also a place where witches do rituals, which is also featured in Outlander, like like on certain, you know, nights of the year, the in the pagan calendar, like the solstices and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I just have a bit on that. In the 16th century, a witch hunting commission was assembled in Oxford to investigate reports of coven activities at the site. A century later, a witch from Little Rollwright was charged with the attempted murder through black with attempted murder through black magic means. At her trial, she was accused of having attended Sabbaths at the Rollwright Stones and Boer Hill outside of Oxford and sentenced to hang. It is even claimed that as a child, Charles Walton would steal out to the mysterious Rollright Stones nearby and watch witch rituals. Just like you said. <laughs> yeah. He wanted to see some boobies.
1: Yeah, he was a little boy. <laughs> yeah, the little boys are definitely going.
0: To... They'd of be like, I they saw would. the witches,
1: but I went for the boobs.
0: What else was there to look at? They don't have playboys
1: they can steal from their dad. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have the internet.
0: Yeah. Um Also according to the Cult Nation article, a dead dog was found hanging from a tree near the location of Charles' body just a few days after his death. <gasps> yeah, creepy. The grim. But you yeah. came after the death. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Um You foretold the death of the dog. <laughs> the opposite of what it normally is.
0: If that's true though, that would be weird. Like you're like, what? Um, so, spoiler alert, it's still unsolved.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I was gonna say. <laughs>
0: yeah. Theories, sacrifice, possible sacrifice, the Sacrifice?
1: They're
0: uh, Well, I'm trying to say sacrificial ritual. <laughs>
1: oh, <okay. clears throat> that's a mouthful.
0: <unmaskful>. Nailed it. <laughs> to give his blood into the ground which gives us life in turn, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So could be, maybe, I don't know. But also what? Why? (laughs) Like, it didn't seem like a sacrifice when you like, I don't know. In the one spot? (laughs) Yeah, and also in the middle of the day, isn't it usually supposed to be like, well, maybe high noon or in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. Like, I don't know. It just seems like, what? Didn't seem like there was much other ritual to it other than... A supposed cross that might not have been real. <laughs>
1: yeah, no. Yeah,
0: okay. um, no. Some, like, yeah. Some even thought, oh, possibly druids who didn't always sacrifice people in a big wicker man effigy, but also beat and stoned people to death. Yay! But okay. again, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and another. Uh... Weird thing to note. It's just not also too far away. I mean, the UK is not that big. So, again, we're just we're just we're just connecting things here. Just where wherever <laughs> we might see them.
1: No, <laughs> is it um, wine and crime that says speculate wildly?
0: No, but you did mention earlier, Worcestershire,
1: Worcester, <laughs>
0: Worcester, where
1: Worcestershire Worcester. But what
0: happened there? Which you know about that case? It's a famous kind of case. What? With Bella. Bella in the Witch Elm was in oh. Worcestershire. Was it? Apparently. Apparently. Okay. <laughs> we haven't researched it yet, so. I, I didn't. Like,
1: I just know Bella in the Witch Elm from Buzzfeed Unsolved, and it's one of my favorites.
0: Exactly. It's a weird case because yeah. basically, ladies found inside of a giant tangly tree and it's really weird and so yeah a lot of people have covered it and
1: we probably should too yeah (laughs) i i don't know which one i believe more which theory like yeah yeah i don't know
0: it's it's weird
1: yeah it's interesting like any way that it happened is just interesting like
0: yeah because like yeah i kind of lean towards the employer but then i'm like it just seems so like random and like out of nowhere if it was him like and he was busy in the morning for a while I don't know yeah. I can't think of a motive well, um like in
1: I don't know if you've heard about it then maybe they haven't talked about it anywhere else on Buzzfeed Unsolved they talked about the possibility <laughs> of her being a spy that was parachuting into the forest and oh that that's okay. how she like rocketed into the
0: tree Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about theories about the this case. I'm so sorry. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that would. I mean, still, it was, it was very pointy tree. Anyway. Yeah. But that when they wrote about they talked about that. It's not too far from where Bella was found in the witch elm, and apparently, <laughs> for the date, as for the date, uh, remember he was found on February fourteenth. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, in the Julian calendar. Blah blah blah, the Julius Caesar calendar, which was later modified by Pope Gregory, who changed it to give us the Gregorian calendar that we use today. But so that means that February fourteenth on the our, our calendar that we use now was the equivalent, apparently, of February the first because the calendars had a two-week difference.
1: Oh, okay, I something about, about
0: the, how they counted the leap year or something. It's the ref- had to do with reforming of the calendar, and I was like, I don't want to get too much into it, but all they're trying to say is that if it was considered that he died on February 1st in an older calendar, it's, um, it's I think, a solstice? It's one of the feasts or whatever in the pagan calendar, Imbolc. I-M-B-O-L-C. It's like one of the solstices or the equinoxes or whatever that they... This is what they celebrate on the pagan calendar. Yeah. So it's an important date there and there are many rituals that can be performed at that time to ensure a fertile spring, so it would be a good date or a great date for a blood sacrifice, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also normally fire oriented.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like in the pagan ones, just from watching, like, Vikings and stuff, they're a lot more, like, ceremonial about stuff like that than just harpooning a dude in a field. Being like, that's With it. With
0: nobody else watching, like, yeah. not in a ceremony at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then just yeah. being like, okay, hey, that's it. Like,
0: yeah, exactly. That The gods totally were watching that. That, that was a great show. <laughs>
1: yeah. Here's our sacrifice. I went berserk.
0: Yeah, for a minute. So the last thing is, in one final mystery, this is from the cult article, (laughs) or cult nation cult article, in one final mystery, Charles Walton's corpse would eventually go missing. It's known that he had been buried in St. Swithin's Cemetery in the churchyard directly across the road from his cottage and a short walk from the field where his mangled body was found. But there is no longer a gravestone that bears his name, and no one can seem to remember exactly where the plot was located. It is assumed that the villagers of Lower Quinton had become tired of being associated with the infamous occult murder and removed the marker to discourage bothersome legend trippers from disrupting the peace of the cemetery grounds. Oh, so now you care.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You didn't care about solving it, but you care about him disrupting you. Oh my god. Oh
0: yeah, they just as long as they're being bothered, that's what pisses them off. <laughs> I don't
1: know. Ugh. They
0: could also have been lost during some churchyard renovations that happened 50 years after his death. <laughs>
1: that's that's fair. I mean,
0: or or else his remains may have been removed altogether and transferred to some unknown location.
1: They're just all over the place.
0: <laughs> we may never know the end. <laughs>
1: Oh, oh Lord, we
0: did it! Thank you guys. Yes. <laughs> for thank you for on. coming
1: to our little trip to the UK. Thanks, Thanks for coming to our TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no. this is another long episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I don't know the Yay. the heist episode for how long it is is our third most listened to episode uh, behind episode one and two that's true yeah that's true think of it this way it's like getting two episodes for the price of one yeah. which
0: is no price <laughs> which is free yeah. which is free but speaking of which if you want extra bonus episodes join our patreon at any
1: level two dollars and up and you get the extra episodes <laughs> yeah which we're working on our fifth right now we'll be releasing one yes. for august coming up right away and it's gonna be about the philosopher's stone so
0: that's right if you and alchemy yeah. like a bunch of uh, basically a bunch of cool sh- shit surrounding that because yeah. yeah it's gonna i don't know it's interesting it's definitely I mean, really fun
1: i'm having fun researching because <laughs> i knew very little other than what harry potter had taught me which turns out to no. be enough to get yeah. by so. yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> no it's true nobody covers it though yeah okay yeah. i'm really excited for that one yeah. and also our next regular episode which was you had to remind me what it was. Oh, Egypt?
1: Yeah, we're doing yes. Egypt, so. We are doing Egypt. Some Various things about Egypt, maybe some talk about pyramids, and some talk maybe about the Sphinx. Some pyramid prattle, some,
0: well, uh, there's some myths, but most people know about the myths, so I think we'll probably try and cover anything a little bit lesser known yeah. and mysterious. And I'm yeah. opening a cooler because our cases were They're pretty down. rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah especially so,
1: mine i'm sorry okay yes. <laughs> cheers to another good episode good yes. job Kels. clink Air oh, clink from how many kilometers <laughs> away yes yeah, yeah. Tune in for, and we're still looking for some questions and listener stories so send those in if this you have true. them you would like them and rate yeah. us a review love a good
0: anecdote <laughs>
1: Yes, send me Send me what happened during your day. Yeah, anything. <laughs> I saw a dog. Great, do you have a picture?
0: It could have been the Grim. Anything yeah. can be spooky. You just don't know. We need to analyze it, so. Yeah. <laughs> send it to your, your agony aunts, as they call them in the UK. It's like, your dear Anne, your uh, columners. Okay. <laughs> no, we're not qualified, so... No. Go to a real psychologist, and until next time, keep it cryptic. Yeah. (laughs) Bye. Bye.
1: This has been Castles and Cryptids. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and our YouTube channel. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. On our website, you can listen to all of our episodes as well as view pictures for each of our segments. Check out our Patreon page to view all of our tiers and become a Patreon supporter today to unlock monthly bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes content. We are working on an Ask Us Anything. You can submit questions by social media or by email at castlesencryptids at gmail.com. Do you have a spooky ghost story, a creepy cryptid sighting, or a thrilling true crime tale you would like to share and have us include in a future episode? Send us your listener story by social media or by email please include the name that you would like mentioned. Our music is by Cobial Fair. Our logo and artwork is by Antonio Garcia. Thanks for listening.